I am podcast. <laughs> I am podcast. Uh, I am Spartacus. I mean podcast. <laughs> I am podcast. I am podcast. I thought you might say pod- podcastus or something. <laughs> that was my only question. Well, it could have been the name of the miniseries. I want podcasters? you to. Yeah. I want you to say. I also podcast in the way that Tony Curtis says. I also juggle. I or also I, podcast. I, I juggle as well. I juggle. He says, "It's so good." I feel like that's weirdly become this movie's lasting legacy is just impressions Coolest. of how much Tony Curtis sounds <laughs> just, like he's ordering like... a sandwich at a deli every single line of this movie. Which way to the G train? <laughs> <laughs> There's I, some. I just think some, that like, one second moment in Clueless where they're watching it. Uh huh. Have you? You're not as big a Clueless head. No, as me, I, I look. I like Clueless. Every time I watch it, and I'll maybe watch it every couple of years. I wait for it to hit me the way it hits you, and it still has yet to. But there are other movies Richard, that take a while. We, I, I used to be able to recite that movie. I from can memory. recite that. Yeah, sure. yeah. And of course, you know, Christian brings over Sporadicus. Yeah, is some like it hot and Sporadicus is what she yep. says. Yeah, yep. he brings over some Tony Curtis movies. Christian is Curtis. is the closeted yes. guy. Yeah. She's crushing on. And yet. they watch Who plays and him the, again. You know, I don't know that that guy ever like really amounted to. He's much. one of those '90s no, guys where you're didn't. like, he should. Be, he seems like he's going to be a star. Yeah, but... he didn't. He, I don't know where he went. Like, but the, but the sporadic Dan joke is saying to him, you think yeah. Sammy Davis Jr.'s death left an opening in the rap? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's got the hat. Yeah, that's so good. <laughs> Such a brutal. <laughs> I have a forty-five and a shovel. A, yeah. Nobody would miss you. I can <laughs> so really, good. I can really quote the entirety of. We watched Clueless. We together should just many do Hacker I think yeah, that's right. We did. Yeah, I came over to your apartment on on Thirteenth Street. Remember when you lived in Park Slope it was years ago? Yes. Yeah, yeah. that's when right. I was, was like, a baby. was Becca in town? Is that your? Yes, cousin? Becca was yeah, in town. Okay. You were nursing yeah. David, right? Yeah. While watching yeah, Clueless. Yeah, I was, was a true like baby. I had just moved to New York. Yeah, you. I think you were like. Did you even have an apartment then? I think I. Didn't I think I was still living like yeah. I was crashing on a couch? Because you stayed at our place once, I believe. Did I? I Maybe mean, I, I did. So. Yeah, I yeah. So. I mean, wait, wait, wait. wait. Vagabond Sims. Justin yeah. Walker is the name of that right. guy, and he just never really. It was his first movie, but he never really. Wow. It was so surreal seeing the actual scene because I'd never seen Spartacus before. Yeah, me neither. But I'd seen that one little clip from Clueless like yeah. hundreds of times. Yeah. Yes. And it really does stand out in the movie. <laughs> well, because you are like, holy shit, like, who is this your face, Tony Curtis? Like, I yeah. mean, he's so pretty. Yeah. He was a pretty guy. There's that story. I mean, Tony Curtis, I believe, would tell this himself. Tony Curtis would tell stories about himself. Yeah, show me tell stories? you a story. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he's a big star at this point. Or not yeah. a big Yeah, yeah, he's a pretty big While star. While I wait for the point. sandwich. <laughs> Let me t- <laughs> Here on Greenpoint Avenue, does the G? Does the, is this one of those where I have to run yeah. to get it? Like Russian it, dressing. Uh, he has a story. What's Tony Curtis's story? What acting school was he a part? Of? I'm trying to. He was one of, part of one of those legendary acting classes or acting schools. Or uh, groups let's or something. see. Okay, I'm not sure. I'm not seeing that. But here. he was in the group with Mathau mm-hmm. and like a couple other fucking like hangdog rumpled suit actors. Sure. When they were all the same age, right? And they would all shit on him. For being it's, a shitty actor. Yeah, apparently, like part of the crew, Rock uh, Hudson, yeah. Piper Laurie, sure. James Best, a lot of these guys, his joke is I was a million and one shot. I wasn't the low man on the totem pole. I was under the totem pole in a sewer. <laughs> I don't get joke. the respect. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why he's danger field all of a sudden. It was Matthew and someone else I'm forgetting would really pick on him. Sure. And just be like, you can't fucking act. 
You can't fucking act. You're never going to make it. You can't act. Do you think Matho's negging him because he's like, Tony Curtis is like 40 times prettier than him? This is the thing. <laughs> right. So then like four months later, Tony Curtis is like starring in movies. Sure. And Tony Curtis was like, the first thing I did when I became a picture star, I bought a fancy car. I put a woman in the in the passenger seat and I drove by and I went, hey, fuck you, Matho. Rolled <laughs> <laughs> down the windows. And that w- w- gave way to grumpy old men. That right. Was, that was like, Matho was just jealous because he couldn't get pussy. But the incredible thing about that story is just to think that Matho is sitting there and he's like, now I'm going to will myself into being one of the leading men of a generation. <laughs> that Matho didn't just become like some fucking I'll show show him. Yeah, no, you're right. That Matthew became like an action star and a comedy star and a drama star and won Oscars and was a box office draw into his 80s. Yeah, Matthew probably yeah. has him beat, but they're both pretty big. Yeah. But, but Tony never got an Oscar. But, but and Curtis's run was a lot shorter. Never had it. It was like shorter. Yeah. 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 And, then, and he also had the weird dual thing of like being the gay icon that he and he kind of always like but pushed that away. Like a, but also hey, no, then I embraced it. Guys. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. It was on. a weird. Didn't, weird wasn't he one of the people who like was really vocal against Brokeback Mountain. He's like, yes, disgraceful. John Wayne would be rolling in his grave. And they were like, Tony, what's your best picture pick? Harry Potter and the God of Fire. <laughs> I remember that distinctly. Really? In the same year. Those kids went to the prom. Yeah. It was great. They were Cedric like, Diggory. Yeah. <laughs> I mourn his loss. For some reason, that's the funniest one for him to like. But just the idea that he was <laughs> shitting on Brokeback so much and they were like, so what are you going to say? Capote? <laughs> right. Are you a crash guy? And he was like, I'd give it to that pot of kids. Fifth times the charm. <laughs> but that's really funny. <laughs> it was like a Liz Smith interview, and he's like, "Love that pot of kid. Radcliffe is really growing into a fine young actor." I mean, my favorite thing. <laughs> did you watch um, the Potter reunion thing? And I know this is just a huge. <sighs> I mean, I did. I did. Sadly, um, I watched it, and I had just rewatched all the movies because it was like wh- whichever yeah. fucking strain it was, the Omicron one or sure. whatever. I did the same. Yeah, and. Um, you know, I'm, Goblet is my one of my favorite of those books, and what always been one of my yeah. least favorite of the movies because they kind of just so squeeze bad. it in, and yeah. you're like, eh, this one's not that good. Newell's a bad, and it's kid. Mike Newell. And then in that documentary, you're like, now Goblet, and you're like, well, they'll just skim past this one, right? And everyone's like, Mike Newell had the energy of a guy on cocaine who had just <laughs> yeah. stole yeah. the car, yeah. <laughs> and like you see these tech clips of him where he's like charging at the actor, he's like, ah, and you're like, I, this is not what I expected. Goblet has that insane concert sequence where yeah, is it? Jarvis big, Cocker? Yes. And and it's got the Jarvis Cocker and the, is part of the Weird Sisters. You know, it's at the prom. At the, right. The, oh, they're the at the Yule prom. Ball. And they do the, the World Cup. And they do the World but Cup it, and they do a, the, the it's tournament. It's a sequence of like, what would a wizard rock concert yes. be like that has the subtlety of like the B-52s playing the B-C-52s and the Flintstones? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Um, anyway, it just is really funny that like Radcliffe, you know, they're just cutting to all these talking heads where they're like, yeah, Mike was really intense. And it's yeah. fucking Mike Newell. You would you think he's the sleepiest guy. It's he's so just bizarre. like whispering instructions to Jim Broadbent on like the set of whatever Tony British movie he's making. <laughs> right. You know, that's that's sure. what I imagine from Mike yeah. Newell. Anyway. I think that's the worst one, but it weirdly just like it has the lasting legacy of like that's the the first Voldemort. <laughs> And 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 fucking and patents and patents yeah. and fines kind of keep that movie relevant. This to go back to Tony Curtis. This picture is not as important as we make it. It's nothing unique. The only thing unique about it is they put it on the screen and they make them gay cowboys. Howard Hughes, okay, sure. and John Wayne wouldn't like it. 
I, I don't think we should be guessing what Howard Hughes <laughs> yeah. would not Also, by the way, the list of things Howard Hughes didn't like, very long. Notoriously, <laughs> and a then, picky man. Germs. When asked, <laughs> hated them. When asked to name his favorite film of the year, Curtis replied, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. So Thank you. I will never forget that. <laughs> Why would you? What a, what a thing. Right, because it was just so many people, so many actors of that generation were saying that same shitty stuff about Brokeback, but he was the only one to counter with Harry Potter. Yeah, Ernest Borgnine didn't come up with anything. I know that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I just like why do they bring up John Wayne? Like John Wayne wouldn't like a lot of shit right now. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like Most you bring shit. John yeah, Wayne would like hate two thousand and six, and you'd be like, "Here's what's you know, what do you think of Transformers two? Right. John Wayne? <laughs> it would drive, it would drive him insane." Uh, Curtis, what what is the sort of Curtis run? I guess I didn't realize, and it, it didn't really come out until after he died that he was just completely fucking dubbed in uh, some like it hot. Is he? There was always the thing of like, oh, some of it. He's talking like that. Well, for the um, when he's in drag, oh. that he couldn't do it. Oh, he and I think they always said like, voice. oh, some of it's well, done. And then a, after he died, they were just like, he did a Cameron Diaz thing where he did a patois, like a Caribbean, and they were like, oh, that's just want to sound work. like Rihanna. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna fuck this car. <laughs> Let me fuck this car. <laughs> so. He comes to Hollywood in the late 40s, like yeah. we said, and the uni- he was a universal guy, sure. and they taught him how to, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. act. He's a Bronx kid, right? right. Um, but he was one of those guys where it was just like, this guy's so fucking pretty, he doesn't even matter. So, right. Just put him on So yeah. good looking. And he yeah. does, like, you know, he did a Douglas Sirk movie. Mm-hmm. He did uh, Houdini with Janet Lee, who right. he was married to, right. uh, playing Harry Houdini. Yes. Um, and then let me get out of this jacket real quick. Oh no, my appendix. <laughs> I That's feel too like much water. One of his well, first, one of his first huge hits, weirdly, is that movie Trapeze with Burt Lancaster, uh, which I've never <laughs> this seen. This jacket ain't straight. <laughs> Keep doing it, guys. Right, I mean, so he does right back. Gotta walk this rope real quickly. I'm on a trapeze. Right, he does that, and then the next year reunites with Lancaster to do Sweet Smells, etc. Which sure. is probably his, his best, best movie and his yeah. best performance. Yes, and it's such an incredible movie, but is obviously a box office failure because right. it's too dark. But it gets good reviews. Some like it hot's the other one that sort of solidifies him in film history, even though it turns out half the performance isn't him. Well, but then no, but then it's Defiant ones. The oh, year oh, after oh, that. sure, that's sure. his Oscar nomination. Right, right. That I believe is his only Oscar nomination. Yeah. Which is a little rude, but uh, sure, sure. And then some like it hot the yeah. year after that, uh-huh. which he's great in. He, he talks is. like this. The the shell when he the shell <sighs> stuff is really good. I'm when just, I was I'm like not credit for him. nine, I just was... and I saw that movie for the first oh, yeah. time, and he held up the shell. I was like, "This is a good bit." I know. <laughs> it's one of those things. Where we, we went. I was a little kid. I was maybe even younger than that. Eight. And my parents were like, we went over to someone's place for dinner and they were boring. And my parents were like, you kids like sit in the room, watch a movie. And we were oh, like, sorry. what movie? And they looked through and it was like the only movie they had on VHS that they thought would appeal to us in any way was some like it hot. And I was right. like, I don't want to watch this boring fucking movie. That is exactly. My mom was like, we're yeah. going to the National Film Theater and we're going to see it in yeah. Britain, in London. Yeah. Of all places. Yeah. And I was like, this movie's like black and white. I'm like nine years old. I was like, ah, this is going to be boring. And she's like, you're going to like it. I trust, it trust also me. has the 80s action comedy thing where like the opening five minutes or 10 minutes are like straight. And I'm right. just like, this is just some gangster movie. This is not my kind yeah. of thing. And my right. mom was like, it's going to be funny. I swear to God. And then the moment the jokes kick in, I was like, you're fucking right. This thing plays. What year was that? Uh, 50. That's 59, right? That's uh, 59. That's so Spartacus so yeah. is the year after? Then Sporadicus, uh-huh. uh, which of course, this movie we're talking about today was the biggest hit yes. of 1960. It was yeah. a gigantic hit. Huge hit. Uh, and then The Outsider... 
you know, we're getting in trouble here. You know, it's immediately, it's like movies I don't really know that so well. So it's like a 10-year run. Captain Newman, yeah. Paris When It Sizzles. Like. He was also one of those guys who sort of aged weirdly. Like, his face made sense at a very specific age range. Yeah. And then when he's, like, got wrinkles on his face, but he's still got those eyelashes... I mean, he looked weird yeah. later in life. He had work done too. I Very think. weird. No, but yeah. I'm saying even before the yeah, work no, I done, know he was a guy who was like was so boyish. We that should... the second he got older, it didn't really click. We right, have to right. acknowledge yeah. in '68 he takes out his own money or like takes a giant pay cut or whatever to do the Boston Strangler. Oh, sure. And that was seen as a comeback at the time. It was like, oh, this is like a dark movie. Yeah, but it didn't really pay off. Like it yeah. doesn't. It doesn't lead to like another huge right. run for him. And then he just becomes fucking, you know, kind of this. It's just like you know, he'd go like on Larry King. Like he would just yeah, be exactly. like a guy who'd tell good old Hollywood stories. Yeah, you know. Like even Kirk Douglas, I feel like, acted more post stroke than Tony Curtis did the last 20 years of his life. Yeah. Right? Douglas I, at least did like yeah. three or four movies post stroke. I was trying to think about like what I would have seen Kirk Douglas in when I was like growing up. Cause like I know he was acting like in the. Oh, you mean like 90s. what you would have seen Right, like what's the first thing? Because it wouldn't have been in one of his older movies. Right. There's it, that movie Greedy with yeah. Michael J. Fox. Oh, sure. That, I mean, that would might have been it. Right. Honestly. Um, Greedy, that's 94. Well, of course, he's Chester Lampwick in that Simpsons episode. Right. That's probably all of our first. Yeah. Wait, really? The, the rocket, yeah. Hit the rocket Whoa. car yeah. and solid gold. gold. <laughs> <laughs> like a great performance. Yeah, that's like a classic Simpsons episode. <laughs> yeah. That's a great performance. In my rocket car. It is a great performance. Simpsons did have that period of time where <laughs> it was early like days. Well, it, it, incredible, but I, but also that thing where it's like where where Foggy is at now with Marvel, where he is like, who are the actors who would never fucking do a superhero movie, and right. can I get them in this just to prove that we're undeniable? Right. Where Simpsons would be like, we'll get people out of retirement. We'll get well, Elizabeth Taylor to say one word. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. What is it? it Kathleen was Turner as the... Um, as the, Malibu Stacy. Yeah, yeah. Malibu. Yeah. They used to get them, and then they would give them actual Real roles. Performances. And it was really good. Like, yeah. they would and have... And if like that a, was now on television, and they were filmed, yeah. it, like everyone would be like, that's the best performance of the year. But it was like a little right. one-off on The Simpsons. On right. The Simpsons yeah. on well, a and the Kirk Douglas yeah. performance is similarly like incredible. Yeah. It's like they would write incredible characters to these people. I did the Talking Simpsons podcast, which is a good podcast I recommend. But I did that a year or two ago, and I somewhere deep in the pandemic. And the episode I picked is this one with Michael Keaton from like season thirteen. So it's like after the glory days, and it's not it's particularly not like good episode. Total disaster times, right? Well, yeah. but it was also like Keaton and Fallow period. And my whole defense right. of the episode because I tried to watch every fucking Simpsons during the pandemic, and I think I got up to twenty four, twenty five before I tapped out. Um, was like this might be the last time they hire a star and have them play a character rather than right. do a character that is a caricature Mike, of the celebrity. Michael Keaton, what are you doing here? Well, Lisa, you know, or they'll be I like, it's Keiko yeah. Meaton, and he's like, yes, uh, uh, I'm a banker. Right. Like, right. like they'll have Ricky Gervais play someone who isn't Ricky Gervais, but he'll look like Ricky Gervais, and he'll do the Ricky Gervais routine. Right. It becomes Larry Burns. Yeah. Well, versus, I mean, but was the turn right. the turning point? Was that the Alec Baldwin Kim Basinger episode where they like moved to Springfield? That episode's yeah. weird. That episode that might is funny, it is. but it is kind of, and it's also weird how that episode was my first impression of Alec Baldwin. Yes, yeah, and I was like, so Alec Baldwin's like a really skinny, cool guy, right? Because right, sure, like, that's what yeah. he looks like in this. He's in the getaway. You're like Hollywood's greatest couple, right? Everyone loves these two, and Ron Howard is like a drunk, fun guy. Like that everyone... episode, like frames them like, like even in that moment, they were seen as Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson. Rather than sure. these two hotties married each other. Right, right. 
they're yeah. like, well, of course, the pillars of the industry. <laughs> right. Like a romance that will last the test of time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway. Sporadicus. Spor- oh, you just, Sporadicus. Spartacus. Kirk Douglas. Yeah. But what else he's, is He's, in what, his... 82 in this movie? Judging by the looks of it. <laughs> what was the... <laughs> Forky was like, does he really... Did they do something to his chin? I'm like, no, his chin just looks oh, like that. Just... It's like someone just put a thumbtack in it. Like... It's also one of those things. I was looking at his Wikipedia and they have like, I, I think like a high school or college photo of him. Yeah. And you're like, his face is frightening when he's young. Oh, I can imagine. It, yeah. it, it's yeah. like he needed like six lines to come into play. Yeah. He yeah. Needed... Oh my God, he yeah. looks like the Joker. Right? Oh. <laughs> I mean, that, also, you know, those old isn't photos the... are very smooth. But yeah. his yeah. nose is like the penguin. <laughs> isn't, that the, isn't that the guy from Deep Space Nine? It looks <laughs> like <laughs> Odom. Yeah. Odom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he sleeps in a bucket. Yeah. But it is. It's like he's, he's way too smooth. And then in yeah. this, it's like once he gets a little bit of like sandblasting in there. Uh, when I was doing theater in college, there there was one guy who, you know, he was good looking enough, but he looked old. And, and basically every acting teacher was like, just wait until you're yes. like 40 and you'll yeah. start working. And he's starting to work right now. It's like right. happening. Right. Right. Yeah. right. Right. You need to sort of grow into it. I may think John Hamm is another guy like that. Where When you see like 25 year old John Hamm, you're like, this doesn't really make sense. He just no. kind of looks like a lot of guys back then. Like, you know, it's just. But it was like, you're going to be such a good man. Yeah. And Kirk Douglas yeah. was one of those things where, like, he had to become like a man. Yeah, he had to have like an earned grimace, and then his face completely made sense on screen, but looks unreal. It's you're right. It's one of those things where you look at him and you're like, that must be the result of some bizarre surgery. Right, like certain right. early golden Hollywood stars, where you're like, they had a very bizarre nose job that looks like no one else's nose, yeah. but it's iconic. Well, it's like when you look at like photos from World War II or something, and you're just like, everyone's face is not what faces are now. Like, yes. like, and he has one of those. I would. Wouldn't even call him handsome by like today's standards, but like I'm sh- he was kind of viewed that way, right? He was oh, like 100, yeah, yeah like, but he's striking. He's one he's of those so classic striking. people you call right. striking, which right. means that he looks like he could hit you over the head with a baseball bat right. or something. But right. also, like his head is like 50 percent of his height. Yes, yeah. everything is like at an angle. He's yes. got like all these insane angles to his chin. He looks like his... hieroglyphics. Like he yeah. looks like. Have you ever seen Lust for Life? Yeah, where he like, and it's like I feel like he was primarily cast because he fucking here. He kind of looked like Let me Van do Gogh. This painting. Yeah. I got a paint some flowers. <laughs> uh, I you think look, sorry you were saying I, he just he got, like looks so much like Van Gogh. Yes. They, they do a good just, ju- yeah. Well, the hair looks so good in that movie. Like they they make his hair all like stringy and spiky. Yeah. Um, I love him as an actor. I know Kirk Douglas was po- probably. A sort of you know bad person, right? It seems like, like it's one it, of those yeah. like it's decades lost now. Uh, but look, I mean, at, at the very least, he was intensely complicated. There are right. some real positive things you can point to yeah. in sort of his life and his accuracy things, and oh, there sure, are a lot sure. of right, horrible, right. horrible whispers about him that you can Google. Um, uh, but uh, but certainly he is he was like, a very unique screen presence, and like. Those, you know, like The Bad and the Beautiful is one of my favorite, like, you know, Minnelli movies. I love that movie. Uh, He's also one of those guys who, at that level of stardom, actually used his stardom in pretty fucking interesting ways. Well, that's ways. what's interesting about him in general. Yeah. We're going to talk about it. We talked about it last week. He so easily could have just been Heston. A hundred percent. And, like, you know, Ace in the Hole is, like, that was a big early movie for me as a mm-hmm. teen where I'm, like, I didn't know movies were this dark. Like, I mean, the fact that he played like, a depressive Van Gogh. Yes. Van like, Gogh in this, in like, movie that's, like, there's no action in this. It's just right. this, you know, is that's fascinating. He did well. um, Cuckoo's Nest on Broadway. 
Yes. yes. And yeah. his son fired him. That's right. He bought the movie. Right. Yeah. Right. right. Um, that's right. Michael produce it. And Michael's yeah. like, you can't fucking do it. But he's yeah. one of those classic like cases of like, he had a great career, obviously, yeah. and he was in a lot of great movies. But like when New Hollywood comes around, he actually struggles to adapt. Like, and he, he did, didn't. Th- Right, where yeah. but like whereas he actually had been kind of the cutting edge guy in the fifties doing the darker stuff, right. and then when Hollywood is catching up to it, he doesn't catch up. He was, and he's instead doing like yeah. that mob movie, The Brotherhood, right? That everyone cites as like, oh, this is like the the Godfather, but bad. Like this right, is right. like before they figured out that you should cast Italian people and like you know, right. Have real sense of verisimilitude. Like you know, it's just like not he, as good. Uh, was sort of like. I mean, the model of of what becomes like sort of DiCaprio, Cooper, yeah, the guys who are really handsome and get the movie star breakthrough and are like, I'm going to use this to elevate cinema, hire right. unconventional people, right? get weird material adapted rather than just play the hits. Because even something like Spartacus, I mean, even when he would do these big epics, the things that physically he seems like such a good fit for, he would often approach them in kind of a weird way. His acting style was just so rooted in that time. And I think even Heston was able to make a shift to grizzled. Yeah. Even if it went yeah. a little bit into self-parody. And yeah. Heston was also smart about the fucking sci-fi shift. He was. Heston did trash. Like, good trash. He and that was smart good trash. Him. Kirk Douglas is a better actor than yeah. Charlton Heston, which Heston has, you know, screen presence. But they're interesting guys to compare. They are. Because Douglas course, was un- un- arguably a better actor. Well, and also, and you probably know this, like, Douglas was the runner-up for yes. Ben Hur, and this movie is kind of yeah. This is drafting off of Kirk Douglas's Dark Man. He's like, I'll fucking wear leather, <laughs> right? I'll do it myself. I'll put yeah. some sandals on. You won't just you wait. Yeah, but like, it's just funny that this is the biggest movie of the year. Mm-hmm. It's a huge hit. Doesn't it, get picture director or star. Which, like, what is that? That's weird. Do we know why that is? I need to. I mean, maybe there's something in the research, but like he never won an Oscar in general, which is wild. Three nominations, never won. Um, But like this movie did not get a Best Picture nomination, but they really famously bad. I can I can give you the. um, Is that the Gigi year? No, no, No. it's not. It's the uh, it's a it's um, it's a good year because it's uh, the apartment wins. Right. But right. The Alamo, which is this famous bomb. That's the one that's weird to get in there. Where John Wayne played, uh, you know, Davy Crockett and like, but like everyone knew it as this kind of like crappy um, vanity project that didn't really work. No one remembers That sneaks in um, because that's one John Wayne directed. Right. And that sneaks into picture. And then it's Elmer Gantry. Yeah. Which I guess was like a big movie at the time. The, Son, the Sons Jack and, Cardiff movie? Yeah, yeah Sons, Sons and Daughters, Lovers, which right. I've never Sons seen. Sons and Lovers, sorry. And then the Sundowners, this like, you know, Robert Mitchum, Deborah yeah. Carr. Like, I don't know. Maybe Spartacus was like almost seen as too like trashy, poppy. like poppy. So. Yeah. But then like, the Alamo thing is the thing that's confusing. If the fifth slot was something that was similarly already, I would get it more. It's also, this is here that Psycho gets snubbed for Best Picture. It yes. gets director and supporting actress. It gets actress. director and supporting actress, yes. It's it's a wild year. I mean, the rudest thing. Mm. Do you know that the Golden Globes did give this a Best Actor nomination, but yes. for Olivier, they nominated oh, Olivier in lead. That's funny. They. Did. I mean, he's really good. He is really good, but it did not, and it and it won the Golden Globe for Best Picture. Right. So that's also weird. They nominated Woody Strode for supporting actor, which is look an incredibly striking, effective performance, but very small. Woody Strode is probably not who I would nominate. Who who is he playing? He's he's Draba. He's, he's the he's um, the oh, one the who fights. 
Oh, 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 the former athlete. Yes. The, yeah, right. Yes. yes, who gets killed. Yeah. And then Ustinov wins Best Actor yeah. at the Oscars. Best Supporting Actor. Yeah. Supporting, sorry. Peter Which, Ustinov. That's a good win. I think, he, that's, I think that is a pretty deserved win, especially I, when you look at the competition. There. It's an awesome win. Yeah. What's the only thing that's interesting about it is when you watch this movie, I don't know if you come away like in a total vacuum and I'm like, do you know who won the Oscar of that cast? No. Not I would sure. probably say Lawton over him. Yeah, I would you would probably say, say Lawton Olivier. or Olivier. Yeah. And like, but then when you know that, you're like, well, no, Ustinov is really good. He comes around at the end. That's the thing. And it's kind of like such a great button on the movie. Yeah. And he's changed and he plays it well. Like, you know, you he's really good. When the movie starts, you certainly don't think that guy's going to be in the final scene of this movie. No, and no, and he disappears he for truly yeah. an hour and a half, maybe. Yeah. Like he's in like the first hour and the last half hour. And he has that great scene with uh, Lawton where they're just yes. kind of talking about their like philosophies for life that doesn't need to be in the movie at all. But right. it's just so, you know, I've talked well about this done. before, I think. But you saw off like one of the all time great. Rock on tours, like sure. almost no one was better at telling showbiz stories than Peter Ustinov. And the right. thing that was incredible about it is when he would tell these stories, he would do immaculate impressions of every guy. And there's some YouTube video of a long form video of him telling stories about the set of this film. Sure. Because you just go like putting a fucking Olivier Lawton, you know, <laughs> yeah. the fucking Yusinov, yeah. like just the, the dinner table conversations must have been fucking incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And he tells all the stories about working on this movie. And when he does it, he not only perfectly impersonates Charles Lawton's voice, but he transforms his he, face. He like does the, right. He, he like does, sinks like, his face. It's, it's like Jim That's Carrey where like the that. bone structure of his face changes yeah. and it's unbelievable. And it's clear it's just like such a party trick that he's so proud he can whip out at any point. He's one of those guys that doesn't exist anymore, like a, like an actor who is just like well read, yes. intelligent, could go on like a talk show and smoke a cigarette, like you know, like a real he was like, also like kind of a comedian. Yeah, like he would like, go on a talk show and he'd clearly have prepared material, right? Like he wasn't just a guy who was like charming. Have you ever seen Top Cappy? I've never seen Top Cappy. That's what he won his other I Oscar. For. I need to see that. Never seen it because wasn't Verhoeven was going to remake Top Cappy. As a sequel to Thomas Crown Affair. Uh, you're right. The it, Top it, Cappy Affair. It's a very affair. weird thing. MGM was trying to, 10 years later, yeah. sequelize yeah. the Brosnan Russo Thomas Crown Affair right. by taking Top Cappy and giving it to Verhoeven, which sounded like Brosnan's such a bizarre coming back. project. Yeah. Brosnan's in Black Adam this year. You, are you hyped? It's Dr. Fate. Mm -hmm. What's Renee Russo in? That's what I want to know. I don't know. Not enough. She, she should be in Shazam, too. Yeah, bring her in. Yeah. Look, this is we're we're talking about so many things. It's playing check with Griffin and David. I'm Jesus, Griffin. We haven't introduced the podcast. <laughs> I'm David. It's a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion products they want. Sometimes those checks clear and sometimes they bounce, baby. Mm -hmm. This is a mini series on the films of Stanley Kubrick. It is called Pods Wide Cast. Today we are covering Spartacus, which is what we like to call a guarantor. Classic guarantor. This is the film that gives them the blank check that they run off of for the rest of their career. He made the most successful film of the year. Yeah, it worked. And it was like he had made four movies that didn't connect to the box office. Essentially, yeah. In a row. And this they is had the gotten one. Re rising acclaim, yeah. but not financial. But not only that, he comes away from this movie and he's like, okay, that's the last time I ever been to anyone else's whims ever again. Yeah, because it, it, he kind of proved himself as like a studio, like uh, like reliable, you know. Right. Douglas brings him in after yeah. firing the original Anthony Mann or whatever. And then he's like, okay, so I did that. I can do that, but I'm never going to do that ever again. Right, no, right. It's, it, yeah. This is his right. only yeah. hired gun movie arguably ever, right? Right. 
not arguably, like inarguably, hype. inarguably, it, right. this is his only. He directed film. the whole first season of Mad About You, but that's that's television. But that right? was a passion yeah. project, right? Also. That, right. right. Yeah, he did that. Out of, he paid out of pocket to do that. Yeah. Actually, yeah. he funded the whole thing himself. I felt so bad for those live studio audiences because yeah. they'd come in every night, and it would be one camera set up, and he'd do four hundred takes, <laughs> screaming at James Burroughs. <laughs> <laughs> Good riser. Thank you. Um, no, but it, it is interesting because like. Cooper talks about it and he's like, this was the first and last time I did what anyone else wanted me to do. Like, the first four movies, he's doing exactly what he fucking wants. Pretty the first much. three movies, he has a very limited canvas, limited resources, and yes. he's learning, but he's making everything exactly how he wants to. No one is preventing him. He just is on a learning curve. Then Paths of Glory is like, I fucking arrived, but it underperforms at the box office. And then this one, he knew he kind of had to play the game a little bit. But, but also... yes was incredibly difficult yeah he was a huge pain in the ass old stand the man 32 yeah he was a baby that's true i mean the whole thing is he died young like that's the whole like i i had the conversation that i bet you've had with friends Mm -hmm. where they're like what are you guys doing next and i was like kubrick and they're like are you gonna break that up or something and i'm like no it's not a lot of movies no it's 13 films in total yeah like it's not gonna be that hard i mean it's gonna be hard to talk about these totemic movies but like it's not it's it's pretty quick but people think that because it goes from the 50s to the 90s oh but he died when he was like you know in his 80s right he's like no he was was like 67 or something like you know he was he was not it was kind of a 70 he was 70 it was like a bizarre sudden surprise made more movies yeah death i mean Uh, we're gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna hone my impression of Tom Cruise being asked on the Eyes Wide Shut making of, which I've seen so many times. Yeah, where they're like, "What was your reaction to hearing that he had died?" And he just look, looks at the camera like a maniac and goes, "Horrified." But I can't. I need to get horrified. it exact. Horrified. 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 He says it twice. Yeah. Um, so good. There, there's an amazing quote from Kirk Douglas that mm-hmm. JJ, well, sure, our researcher pulled up. Okay. Where uh, not jump ahead, but I think it's we're, give me the quote. Give me the right quote. Now. Give me the quote. Uh, that um, Kubrick was signed to like a five picture deal with Douglas's company, and this ended up being the second one. Sure. They were supposed to do three other movies after this. Kubrick really wanted to do Lolita next. He was developing before this film. <laughs> Douglas was like, "I'll let you out of your contract." And Douglas, in some quote after Kubrick tied talking about what a pain in the ass he was, was like, by the way, if I'd kept him in his contract, he only made six movies total after Spartacus. From 1960 to 1999, he makes six films. Half of his remaining filmography would have been under my contract. Is that? No. Okay. All right. Right? Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Let me give you some context. Speaking of our dossier. By the way, our guest today. Oh, you didn't introduce our guest. Yeah. Richard Lawson for Vanity Fair in the Hi. Little Gold Men podcast. Hi. Hi. I feel like the every time I come on this podcast, we're talking about a movie where Kirk Douglas drowns someone in a cauldron of soup. Don't you feel like that's <laughs> it does. a recurring theme for it us? It is where it happens in Lady in the Water. Yeah. It happens in Spangle. Yeah. I mean, it's most of Lady in the Water. It's <laughs> most of Lady Is in it in water. Trolls? Well, well I mean, it happened I, I in the experience. Of, it's not in the yeah, film. Yeah. <laughs> but it was offered to us in the experience. Griffin flew off the handle at one of the employees. And... <laughs> well, it's, who it's, was Kirk Douglas? Yeah. Who was like, welcome yeah. to the experience. It's crazy to think. <laughs> it's, yeah, the troll thing. it's crazy to think that <laughs> he Kirk Douglas. He kind of has troll yeah, hair. He does. Exactly. Yeah. It's crazy to think that Kirk Douglas lived to 103, which, in, in, you know, on paper seems like a very full life. Mm-hmm, but he never He never got experience. to do the experience. I never know, did it. I know. He That's didn't live. Thing. That's he why Michael Douglas does it out. every day in his honor. Sometimes Catherine comes. 
not not always. Give me the experience. <laughs> this is your one, two, three. Can't four, stop five, the feeling. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. This is your eleventh episode. Yeah. Holy Congratulations. Shit. Thank Twelve you. if you include the experience. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, Rarefied air. Uh, did you know that your blank check Wikipedia page now includes your tweet? Um, to Katie Rich after both Kelly Reichardt and Wolfgang Peterson had lost, asking if they should do a five-month Wolfgang Peterson-Kelly Reichardt series, and you said, Air, Air First Cow. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, anyway, that's just on the Wikipedia. So the best there you in the go. Biz. <laughs> that's I'm, why he's back, baby. I'm glad that's been Old Dickie ways. Lawson. Yeah. Uh, so Kubrick makes Paths of Glory, but yeah. he doesn't make no money. Yeah. The movie doesn't make no money. And he's like, sure, I got my critical plaudits, but quanto dinero per stand. Right. And he's been validated by this big major star. Put yeah. him on a bigger stage. It's like, I think this kid's got it. And the movie is well respected, but it's still, you know. Yeah. I mean, like, I no one's banging down his door. But beyond that, I think he truly just needs moolah. Yeah. He just doesn't have any money. Especially because right. the first three, they were essentially putting their own money into their family. Spec. He doesn't make any fucking money, money from any of this shit. Right. And I think Paths of Glory, his salary was like deferred or whatever. Yes. One of those classic Hollywood things where they're like, we're going to defer your salary. It's a good idea. It was deferred and then the movie didn't make money. So he was truly like, I kind of haven't made a dollar directing and I'm five, four movies in. Um, so one thing he wants to make apparently is a Civil War drama called The Downslope uh-huh. that he wrote with Shelby Foote. Um, that Mark Forster was going to adapt into a trilogy recently? Correct, but it never happened. You know what's uh, always... He wanted Gregory Peck to be in that movie. Mark uh, Forster did, which is part of the try, problem. Trying to... <laughs> it's going to be Mark, an issue, he's Mark. dead. I don't care if he's dead. I'm wearing a big scarf. What I was say, he's German. Spielberg's the only person... He is German. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Spielberg's the only person who survived trying to make an unmade... Right. And at the time, he was butchered for it. He was... It was It was the, the, the sort of... The millstone around the neck of them, but it almost yeah. feels like a cursed thing. Anytime a guy's like, don't "I'm even, going to open up the archives," don't touch some Stanley Kubrick right. script because people will just compare you to it. Right? Like, Carrie I Fugunawa, mean, Mark, a Mark Forster maybe couldn't dare, you know. But Carrie right. Fukunawa saying like, "And now, time for Napoleon." Is that what he's doing? Well, he's well. Like, this is my point. It feels like don't open that fucking bottle. Um, AI, right? AI is the is the Kubrick screenplay that Spielberg yeah. made. That's right. Um, Every other 27 someone... Dresses was him. That's true. And I'm people, sure. But I feel like a lot of people don't know that. Well, he had people... a very different take on the material. <laughs> oh, it was 28. What if it... <laughs> right, right. They shaved one dress. What if it was like AI and <laughs> and they were like, well, she really lightened it up. Annie Fletcher was like, no, 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 no. no. My version was much darker. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I added all the dark stuff to 27 <laughs> yeah. Dresses. It was my idea to cast Eigel. <laughs> oh, Marston's so good in that movie. You know who's good in everything? James Marston. Other than X2. Go on. He's all right in X2, though. He's bad in X2, and it pains me to say. I think he's bad. He's bad. And it I, pains I, me I think to he's say. just fine. I, like, in, I interviewed him um, during the pandemic because I was watching... He was on, like, 18 shows at one point. He's yeah. done a lot of stuff. And I was like, well, what's his deal? And so I just literally emailed his publicist, and I was like, can I talk to him? I just wanted yeah. to f- figure out what his deal is. Very nice guy. But he was like, yeah, you know, I was in... Uh, I was living in the, where I grew up in, like, North South Dakota or whatever, Kansas. And, uh, you know, and I finished school and I got in my car and I drove to California and I started working later that week. <laughs> it was like, cool. <laughs> good, good for you. He's from yeah. Oklahoma, yeah. Oklahoma, Oklahoma City. Right. And indeed, yeah. he just uh, drove on. Sounds like he basically just drove on to the set of the nanny and they were, <laughs> they were like, like, sure, you, you want a recurring yep. role? Yep. I have yep. often contended 
from my and he held at Walter Matthau. He yeah. yes. by Walter Matthau. Yes. Yeah. Fuck you, Matthau. I'm an Alan McBeal season four. So why is this guy rubbing pussy in my face? <laughs> I don't even know him. Another. Uh, oh no, go ahead. No, I, I James Marsden in my mind a perfect career. I, yeah. I, I think Quite. it's a great career. I think yeah. I think I'm right. I'm with you though that even though I don't think he's bad in the X Men movies, it's weird that he played a fairly iconic comic yeah. book character and no one remembers that no or wants to talk about he it. he did it before it was a thing to do yes exactly when it was like well who's gonna play fucking cyclops get yeah, some no canadian tv shit. actor yeah, yeah just, just, just some random brown here right. guy yeah. yeah we just need a jaw right um another movie kubrick wanted to do is a movie called i stole 16 million dollars which is a good title it is a good title even now even i'd now. be interested to know about it's someone still who did on that. Yeah. Um, he wrote it with Jim Thompson, his old collaborator, and it was about a prohibition era safe cracker. Okay. And it's another one of those movies, scripts that people keep claiming they're gonna revive. This no is series what I'm or people movie has been made, but love know. taking things off the Kubrick shelf and being like, I can, I can make this. Who do you think could make it? You know, like I mean not that specifically, but like who, who could be the heir apparent to his style the problem is i think anyone who could be the heir apparent to his style understands it's stupid to literally pick one of his unmade projects right i mean people will bring up like wes anderson or pta or nolan or, or anyone Kogunata who's famous for control or, or todd right? field or yes. any of these people but it's right it's venture even to, i would imagine yeah all yeah. these people you know it's right a, it's a millstone to try and be none of them would fucking Kubrick. touch it like Right, I think the only reason AI works, by the way, is because they already were working on it together. Yeah, and Spielberg actually knew Stanley Kubrick. Right. It's a little different from, like, whatever, you know, someone who's obsessed with his movies. Right, right. I you think know, it's, like, like, it's a fool's errand to be, like, I'm going to try to make the movie he wanted to make. And it's a fool's errand to be, like, I'm just taking this material and doing my own thing with it. But material that's mostly known for being an unmade Stanley Kubrick thing. Who's on the level as far as intensity? Uh, Nancy Myers. Uh, Fincher's um, intense, but more friendly. It seems like more personable. Fincher seems like I mean, like I think it's sort of similar though with Kubrick and Fincher. Maybe not. Fincher does seem nicer just in general, but it's like everyone who loves Fincher, like they'll go to war for him, right? Like, and then when you say like, doesn't he make people like take eighty takes of fucking opening a door, and they're like. That's just like good work. That's just getting good work out of it. Right. You know, like they'll they're just like it's just discipline. And also just he runs like a really professional right, set. Right, he right. doesn't like fuck around. But I Cooper doesn't strike me as particularly charming. No, like, I don't no think he was seems... like pleasant. Right. right. Whereas Fincher is like nice. Like it's like a funny guy. Yeah. I mean, I interviewed him and who else is in? I mean, nice. like Wes Anderson's very exacting, but all the actors are like nice. it's. It gets a little meticulous. It can be a little maddening sometimes. He like directs you by the centimeter. But he like creates a great environment. All the actors are in the same hotel and they host big dinners every night. So part of the appeal is like you go to some European country and there's like a banquet with 20 of the best like character actors in the world. You get custom luggage, your right, initials right. on it. Like all these other guys who are that intense. <laughs> some of those pajamas maybe with a collar. Yeah. And yeah, successful. Yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's a notion of it being more fun. And then the maybe. guys who really sort of fashion themselves after Kubrick and the intensity are guys like Mark Romanek who end up sort of being their own worst enemy. Right. Where, where it's, it's like, like why dude, would take it down money. a notch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're taking right. too long to do anything. Uh, okay. Marlon Brando had seen The Killing and had seen Paths of Glory mm -hmm. and thought Kubrick was great. He's working on a Western called The Authentic Death of Henry Jones. Um, and they were working on it with Peckinpah. 
I guess, writing it. And he wants Kubrick to direct it. Peckinpah? Sam Peckinpah. It's a good name. It would be cool if his name was Peckinpah. <laughs> like, like he was some sort of <laughs> chicken <Peckin's> dad. dad. <laughs> <laughs> right, yes. Um, David, can you read the quotes that JJ pulled up from Brando about Kubrick? Because I thought these were really good. Uh, sure. Uh, just to say, uh, yeah, right. Well, Kubrick comes aboard. Wait, the quote. Uh, yes, I'll get, here's the, here's the yep. quote. Stanley is unusually perceptive and delicately attuned to people. This is the quote you mean, right? Mm -hmm. He is an adroit intellect and is a creative thinker, not a repeater, not a fact gatherer. He digests what he learns and he brings a new to a new project, an original point of view and a reserved passion. Is that the quote? Yeah, I thought that was yeah. really fucking good. It's well, it's just like a very um precise and intelligent quote from a guy that I think now we think of as being like, I like Stanley Cooper because he yeah. seems like a real cool guy. I don't know, like, you know, now we have this cartoon I thought version. The Don. Of Got shot in the throat. Have you uh, been offer pilled yet, Richard? Uh, I watched, I think, the first two or three. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, so at that point, if you'd cut off one of your limbs, you can stop the infection. <laughs> right, 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 right. right. You made the sacrifice. But, I, but I, I feel like I keep hearing people do the Matthew Good voice. Mm -hmm. It's And so it's like, oh, I want to spend more time with that. Yeah, I want to watch more of it. It's genuinely you know? a good performance. But I love But the, everyone says he's the good performance, yeah. but he's not the star, right? It's like, it's Ruddy as the main character. Yeah, but he, I, he, I would... He's in it a lot. He's the second lead. Okay. And especially okay. in the latter half of the season, they kind of start to pin the emotional arc on his sort of uh, overcoming the heartbreak of Ali McGraw, and he's pretty fucking effective. I love Matthew okay. Good. But it's also, yeah. it's the kind, it, it, while being the only tasteful performance in the show, it's also so over the top that it's also fun. Right. Who plays Brando? Uh, Justin Chambers from Grey's Anatomy. Why Alex do you even have Karev, to ask? Obviously. Why? Why what? did you even? When ask you saw this? Karev in season what? one of Grey's Anatomy, I mean, I guess I get the look a little bit. Who else bit? could possibly? That's wild. There's a scene where he comes up with the look for the Don in real time. <laughs> right. That is like David's impression of Brando right now. <laughs> what if I put tissue okay. paper in my cheeks right now? I got to watch it. You got to watch, watch it. I guess he kind of kind of looks like Brando. Like it's one of those things where you're like, what? And then you see pictures of him. Yeah. And you're like, this isn't great, but it kind of looks like Brando if you put the makeup on him. But I there's don't know. also when when the when the Steve Jobs uh Ashton Kutcher movie came out, mm. I remember someone tweeting, Ashton Kutcher, Steve Jobs, great casting, an idiot playing a genius. <laughs> <laughs> and it does feel like yeah. one of those things where it's like, you can't cast a guy who's an okay TV actor yeah. as Marlon. No Brando. offense to Justin Chambers. No, no offense. That's but that is, I mean, he was never in the top ten of good Grey's Anatomy actors. That's the thing. Sure. You yeah. can't. You can't just cast that part on look. What if he's listening? He's a big blinky. Sorry, Karev. Sorry. He's a hoshawk. Um, <laughs> I didn't say shit. All that's right. True, you yeah, you love Chambers, and you've watched the offer right? clips. <laughs> the offer. I've watched <laughs> clips, and I love your work. I showed Ben clips, and he said, "I feel like I'm losing." <laughs> Um, Marlon and Peck and Marlon and Kubrick start working on this movie. Brando mm -hmm. and Kubrick. They fire Sam Peck and Paul because Kubrick wants to rewrite the movie, which was maybe a mistake. Uh, and everything starts getting crazy. <laughs> um, uh, once over the summer of this is their right. Kubrick and Brando are writing together over the summer. They're working at Brando's house. Brando reflect required that anyone entering the house take off their shoes to not damage his teak floors. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kubrick took off his pants as well and would work in a dress shirt and underwear. 
sort of a weird look. Yep. Uh, but very Brando-y look. Yeah. Brando would sit in a lotus position on the floor and strike a gong with a leather mallet if he thought discussions were getting off track, which maybe we should introduce to playing Jack. <laughs> Well, you guys are sitting in your underwear, so you might as well. Yeah, and dress shirts. Yeah. And we're not yeah. wearing shoes. Yeah. Uh, and this would apparently cause dishes to rattle in Brando's kitchen. So that's the vibe that's going on. What do you guys think? I mean, it sounds like season two of The Offer. That's what I'm saying. This sounds yeah. like something out of a TV show. Yeah. And then uh, Kubrick gets the rights to Lolita, which mm-hmm. he wants to make, as right. you said. like He's, he's fucking a- crazy about it from the word go. Like the second this book comes out, he wants um, to make it. And so they're they're obsessed with that. Uh, this movie, of course, is One-Eyed Jacks, the movie that uh, Brando yes. is working on. Uh, eventually, people start leaving because it's getting really annoying. At a certain point, Kubrick says he doesn't know what the film is about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he quits. Uh, Brando reaches out to Ilya Kazan, then Sidney Lumet, and then decides to direct it himself. Have you ever seen One-Eyed Jacks? I've no, never seen I know it. people love it. I mean, it's bizarre, yes. right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, for like a 1961 movie, I think it's like interesting. Sure. You know, like, what makes it bizarre? Uh, it's like a weird, like comic western that's you know got Brando in it. I don't know. I've never you know I've never it's like seen got it. an odd tone. Yeah, right. Yeah, for the material, it's sort of Gonzo. Um, but the the moral of this story is Stanley Kubrick just wasted two more years hanging out with Brando, banging a gong, and he comes out of it with like maybe I want to adapt this unadaptable book, right? And I'm not making that movie. And he's still under a Douglas contract, but Douglas has no interest in making Lolita. No. Even producing it. Uh, I, I mean, he's sort of in the territory of potentially becoming Mark Romanek now, where it's like, is this little precious director man who can't get anything off the ground, is too difficult, is too exacting? He does say that, like, when Brando decided to direct it himself, he felt like that was a real mitzvah because if he had successfully hired someone like Kazan or Lumet or whatever, it right. would have looked like, well, Kubrick couldn't cut it. Right. And, and instead by, it's like, no, Brando's crazy. Brando's right. just crazy and wants to do his own thing. It's right. like, he lost two years of his life, but it didn't damage his reputation. That's fair. On the other side of things, Kirk Douglas is working on stuff. He starts working on a Spartacus movie, and then there's a race, mm-hmm. because Yul Brenner is also working on a Spartacus movie called The Gladiators. Mm-hmm. And they're in a race of, like, who can get this movie going first? It's two different books adapted? Yes, exactly. Right. Uh, and so, wait, what's that I hear? What's that I hear? Splash, 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 splash. That's the sound of a typewriter in the bathtub, Griffin. Oh, Lord. Who does Kirk Douglas hire to write this movie in two weeks? I am the one <laughs> who types in the bathtub. <laughs> Dalton Trumbo himself. Did you know Dalton Trumbo wrote this movie, Ben? Oh, I, I saw the name and I thought tub fucker. <laughs> tub fucker. <laughs> to be fair, not name one forgets. Dalton oh, yeah. Trumbo. Dalton Trumbo. No, it's a, it's a, it's a good name. It's but a this great is, name. This is one of the things that gives Douglas a good reputation that that ages well. Yes. He, he was, was super he against the blacklist Ended stuff the blacklist, and, yeah. essentially. He, yeah. he hires a blacklisted writer. He gives him the name of Sam Jackson after his future favorite Well, actor. they were going to do Charlton Dumbo, but they were like, I think people might, <laughs> might but figure that the out. The studio sniffs Sounds it like out because <laughs> they sniff it out because all the screenplay pages are covered in bathwater. <laughs> <laughs> Who the hell is Brian Cranston? <laughs> um, and uh, he churns out a script so fast, which, you know, yeah. good for him. 
especially a fucking long ass like historically sourced script like this or whatever. Well, it's like also, you know, like the uh, Nathan's hot dog eating contest where they dip the hot dogs in the water so they <laughs> fast. Right, he's got the water the all bathtub, around him. Right. The fingers yeah. are lubricated. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. real fast. He's like <laughs> sliding all over that fucking. Thing. Um, and so. Uh, they decide the gladiators are supposed to shoot in Europe. Mm-hmm. Douglas decides to shoot it in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. which is easier. And so uh, he gets the rights to Spartacus being made, essentially. The other movie dies. Right. They do a thing, too, where like Variety. Uh, who is the other studio that was doing the Yul Brenner one? I think it's UA, right? Yeah. Yeah. They they announced like, we are going ahead with the gladiators starring Yul Brenner, a budget of five and a half million dollars. Correct. And then Kirk Douglas bought out an ad variety and he was like, Universal is doing Spartacus at a budget of five and a half plus one dollar. Right, right. At five right. million five hundred and two dollars okay. is how he put it. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um and Anthony Mann, as you mentioned, Richard is hired to direct the film. Saul Bass is brought on to do the titles. Those titles are incredible. Incredible and Saul titles. Bass also is actively involved in pre-production on the, the Anthony Mann version and is helping design the look. Is doing location scouting. He, go, right, he goes a lot to of Death aesthetic. Valley. Right. This is right. him looking at Death Valley. Right. He's got his hands over. But they ended up in Spain for some of it, right? They did. Yeah. That that, that comes later. Yes. He because they they in. When and it's Kubrick who insists on Spain, I believe. Right. When yeah. Kubrick takes over at that point, the the big battle sequence was supposed to be more uh uh what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. I, suggestive. Sure. Suggested rather than a full on epic thing. Sure, sure, sure. You don't really see the battle. Right. And it was like sort of, of uh, abstract. Yeah. And right. he was like, we have fucking Kirk Douglas with a sword. You need to have him ride a horse. And you need to have people go into battle and whatever. And yeah. Universal said you couldn't afford it. And so he was like, what is the cheapest possible country where I can get the most people? And so then the argument one, we're skipping ahead here, was that like, I'll do ahead. all the exterior stuff in Spain. I'll do all the interior stuff in Hollywood. But at first, they're in Death Valley. They're yeah. shooting this with Anthony Mann. Douglas hates Anthony Mann. Says he's letting Peter Ustinov take control of the production. A weird... I mean, I don't know. It sounded like they shot it chronologically because Anthony. They're doing Mann, at least the gladiators. But those tensions stuff. between actors was apparently like the kind of animating force of the whole production, well, you right? Look at the like, fucking above the title on this movie, yeah. and you're just like the amount of ego that must have been thrown around at every possible moment, and then this young director who's just like, I want the entire world to bend to my whims. I'm dealing with like six guys who all right. want to be the loudest voice in the room. But Anthony Mann essentially directed the first ten minutes of this film. Or, uh, yes, a good chunk of those early gladiator scenes. Certainly, yes. like, the, I, I think the very opening. It's it's yeah. two weeks of work, you know? Yeah. It's it's something. Uh, they fire him. Supposedly, Kubrick had always been Douglas's first choice or whatever. Uh-huh. Who knows? Calls him. He's in a poker game. And he's told, you have 24 hours. Report to the studio. You'll be directing. Like It's like Saturday, and it's like, you'll yeah. start on Monday. Yeah. And uh, Stanley Kubrick did it because he wanted money, money, and because he wanted to start moving out of this contract he had with yes. Kirk Douglas. Right. Yeah. Uh, and he's like 32 years old, and so he's showing up to this gigantic production looking like a baby. Yeah. And I think the whole crew is like, "Who is this fucking twerp?" Like, you know, he has to deal with that. You know. Yes. Um, Especially because he's already Tony Curtis says himself. Like they all screwed him around, right? Yeah, he's right. not a big bossy guy. Tony Curtis was the only one he seemingly got along well with, and Tony Curtis had that bizarre quote where he's like, we got along because we were only interested in talking about two things, how pictures are made and our dicks. <laughs> Maybe they love talking about their dicks. Yeah. 
I didn't realize Stanley Kubrick was David Sims. <laughs> Look, as always, uh-huh. who does Stanley Kubrick fight with the most? The fucking cinematographer. Yeah. It's always this, like this, like yeah. it's always some old great these early films he makes, some old grizzled film cinematographer who's like, you can't tell me what to do. And Stanley Kubrick's like, if you don't change that lens to a long lens, I will assassinate you immediately. There's that like, story. Can you read verbatim the story with the, with the DP kicking the light? Do you know the one I'm talking about? It's in here. Uh, as you're looking for this, I am somewhat surprised that Kubrick never went like full Soderbergh and just shot the movies himself. Right. Especially because he had a photography background. Yeah. And you assume that he, if he wanted to become an A-level cinematographer... He could have taken the time. And he essentially won a cinematography Oscar for this, but couldn't right. accept it because it was in the other guy's name. Right. Like, why wasn't he operating the camera himself? It just feels like it would have saved him a lot of... It probably right. would have. I'm sure union rules were one reason. Sure. Right? Oh, but, yeah, but sure. uh, you know, um, the light story is in the one of my favorite scenes in the movie when Herbert Lom, playing the merchant guy, uh-huh. comes to meet with Spartacus. I really love that scene. Yeah. You know, that, you know. Oh, yeah, that is a good scene. Where he, they yeah. make the deal, and then he's like, you're going to lose. And Spartacus, you know, and like, I just love that scene. But they're talking about that scene, and, um, you know, uh, at a certain point, you know, Kubrick's fucking with things. He goes over to Russ Meddy, and he says, I can't see the actors' faces. And Russ Meddy, his face turns purple. He's fuming in his little chair, uh, so angry. And he uh, lifts up his foot and gives uh, one of the lights a kick, mm-hmm. and it just falls. Or I guess it like skids into the scene, yeah. like he like kicks a light on set. Yes, right. And then it rolls in, and he looks at Kubrick, and he says, "Now is there enough light?" And Kubrick looks at it and looks back at him, and he says, "Now there's too much light," <laughs> <laughs> which is great. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty funny. Um, but I mean, like Curtis says, like we we were only interested in our dicks and how a picture was being shot. Yeah. I guess he's saying like we were in our thirties, sure. So it's like we were boys around town. I just feel like, or maybe they were specifically interested in their dicks and only that. I I'm interested in both interpretations. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I I could imagine Stanley Kubrick very clinically talking about his own Girthy, penis and what fascinated not him too about long, it. Right. Bends, right. you know, whatever. Right. right. And uh, Curtis is like, no kidding, me too. We're both from the Bronx, you know. We got real Bronx dicks. <laughs> Honest dicks. Come on. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. Hard work. Yeah. yeah. Not these Hollywood dicks, yeah, yeah. you know, with you know all these kinds dicks of dicks that haven't worked a day in their lives. <laughs> these dicks got city miles on them. My grandfather's dick was a longshoreman. <laughs> I, I, no, I, was I want say, my son's dick to be the first dick that goes to college. <laughs> Kubrick's been married three times already at this point, or is out of his second marriage at this yeah, point? Sure. I mean, it's some of those marriages are those like, you know, they right, got married yes. so they could be roommates type things. Right. But yeah, he's he's on his third marriage. Yes. He his final right, marriage. Third yeah. marriage at 32. He obviously liked women. I still just sure. imagine the way Tony Curtis talks about going out in the town and cruising is very different than the way. It doesn't Stanley seem Kubrick like a natural about. It's yeah. Ryan Gosling and Steve Carell in that. What is that movie? He's yeah. crazy, crazy, stupid love. Yeah. You should be wearing a yeah. 32. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, Olivier is the classic uh, big boss. Sure. Where he's basically directing the actors himself. Like yeah. in any but, scene that he's in. And was Gene Simmons famous for Kiss already? <laughs> oh my goodness. 
Why did I invite you on this August mini? And she wanted to do it in the full makeup, right? Yeah, she did. <laughs> she did. She asked, and they said no. And she's like, "Well, I could be the Star Child." Yeah. If I you look in the, the back man. in some scenes, she's going, "Ah, Batman." <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, she had listeners. Been, Richard, I feel like her out. biggest movie is Guys and Dolls. She's won the Oscar already at this. Point. Uh, and she had, is it, had she won the Oscar? She won Best Actress for Guys and Dolls. No, she no, did not. She did win a Golden Globe, okay, but not Best Actress at the Oscars. I think her only Oscar nomination is for Hamlet, which she's in with Mr. Lawrence Olivier before this. And then she gets oh, another sure. one for The Happy Ending. I don't think she ever won an Oscar. Um, No. But yeah, you have, I mean, no. yeah. Night of the Hunter has already been made. Lawton's already That's directed true. and has directed a lot of theater. Mm-hmm. Olivier obviously has directed a Best Picture winner. hundred percent. He's Kurt a big director. Douglas is the producer on this movie. Yep. Is the guy getting this made? And it sounds like Ustinov is throwing his fucking weight around too. Like you know, right. even he's no king. Yeah. This movie has like five potential directors on it, or at least uh, five yes. people comporting themselves as one. Um, and you're having scenes like there's this Norman Lloyd who had worked with Kubrick before, like describes the scene where like. You know, Lawton's doing some speech, and Olivia's like, "No, you should do it like this." And Lawton's like, "Well, what do you mean?" And and then you, Olivia just like sits in his chair and is like, "Here's how I would do it," and acts the scene. You know, like right. they're just all doing it themselves because they're all these big shots. Those those guys, that generation, I feel like was incredibly competitive. Um, yeah, there were yeah, no, it's true, and yeah, it's thrilling to watch Olivier and Lawton like do their kind of you know trod the board sort of old salt shit. theater shit. And then t- Tony Curtis and the guy who... Uh, John Gavin as Caesar? No, the no. other guy who plays um, the one who loses initially. Dahl? Something? John Dahl. Yes. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he sounds kind of just like 1950s American guy. Like, right. it's just like a really funny mix of styles. And I, I mean, obviously, Kurt, or Kirk Douglas is on the... To, uh, Tony Curtis side of right. things, but, but but he kind of blends it a little. I mean, he's so you know, theatrical. Yeah, it works like, though that they that the you know the the, the slaves all have like Americanish accents. Yeah, and then when we're in the Senate, it's all these British like. It's just wild like, seeing burr, Tony burr, Curtis burr. in a bathtub with Lawrence Olivier, and it's like, and like them talking at each other, it's, and they could not right. be more different. In terms right, of they are their the one, and right, they're the ones who cross over the most yeah. of the two sides. Yes. Like they have yeah. the most scenes. Yeah, it's true. Ustinov weirdly to me feels like the most modern performance. I, I fully agree. It's it. it I mean, it, it feels like Oliver Reed and Gladiator. It feels or like Watto. It's kind of. He's like, a very Watto-esque performance. Yeah. He does. The opening chunk, the opening hour, I was like, and, and this is not a criticism. I was sort of astounded that it worked and it didn't break the reality of the movie. But it's like, oh, it feels like he's giving a performance out of History of the World Part 1. No, I know what you mean. Yeah. But he's, he's a lot he's more on his He's kind of camping it up a little yeah. bit yeah. in that early he's part. He's camping it up. Yeah. And then the surprising thing, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah. The surprising thing is in the last half hour when he's able to bring like a real pathos to right. it. That's in a way when that he feels... fucking brings the hammer down and you're right. like, okay, there's, I get why this oh, was a remembered performance. Yeah. Right. Whereas like Olivier is so fun to watch, but you're right. like, yeah, sure, he's he can do this shit anytime. But like, that's why it's like the fact that Yusnoff is able to be like the hammiest and the most grounded of all of them is kind yeah. of astounding. Yeah. Um I I do love Olivier though, because he can just literally say a word like here. And he just says the word, and it sounds like yeah. a sentence, and you're like, "Is it you there know, some story about? Is it Lawton and uh, 
Olivier Larry. dragging out a scene that's not in the movie, uh-huh. but they had three lines of dialogue, like call, response, mm-hmm. call. Right. And they dragged it out for like 20 minutes because they were trying to one-up each other. I think I read that. <laughs> this yeah. is that competition yeah. shit. Like, yeah. I feel like these guys, if you put two of them in a movie, it would be like a power game. Right. Right. And if you put four of them in a movie, it would be uh, calamitous. Yeah. Uh, like, it, it's surprising that this movie didn't become Cleopatra. Um, it is, especially given that it has, uh, brings in a new director in the middle, basically, of production, like, and has... Like so much pressure on him, and that its budget more than doubled. Its schedule yep. went way over. It cost twelve million dollars, which is like the equivalent of like one hundred and ten million dollars now. Which yeah. obviously movies cost more than that now, but that is not the kind of budget you see on these movies. No. Apart from something like Cleopatra, which cost like a right. fortune upon but fortune, was a disaster right. and right. nearly tanked the entire studio. Uh, and also, Cleopatra is one of those movies where it's not like The Gray Man. No offense, which we were just discussing, where we're like, how did this cost two hundred million dollars? Like. Cleopatra, you're like, I can see how this was the oh, most expensive thing ever yeah. made. No, no. Uh, you <laughs> like, watch they're basically Cleopatra. dragging pyramids around. <laughs> Cleopatra feels impossible. Like, you right. watch it today, and you're just like, I don't understand how any of this was constructed. I don't understand how they got this many bodies. Like, it, it, I feel this way about this sometimes, too. These sets are really huge. good. There, there yeah. are some shots in this when they're, they're either in a battle, but really just kind of like migrating south or wherever they're they're going yeah. where you're like that's so many people and that's not cgi obviously like it they just the I'm scope just, feels impressive know, it, there's some yeah. matte painting stuff obviously yeah. there's lots of that you know but like yeah the, the crowds are huge there's sort of nothing more impressive than just like a wide shot that is full yeah right where you're yeah. just like oh you're not faking that there's that much in frame right now mm-hmm. you think about like the fucking end battle of end game and the big lineup of everybody. Right. And you know that most of them were on set at the same time for that part at least. Right. And you're just like, if that was not shot in a green screen space, if they had shot that in a random field rather than in like a void, that shot would be so much more impressive. It would be very cool. Because when you get to the battlefield in this and you're just like, God, look how many fucking people there are. Thanos isn't in Spartacus. So that's a count against Spartacus. Can you imagine Thanos and fucking Lawton trying to one-up each other? (laughs) Rome is on its last legs. (laughs) Thanos is like building some spear. I don't know. But you know, Charles Lawton did enter the Speed Force later in his career. Yeah, and it was a big cheer moment for us But have you ever seen the photo um, of him entering the Speed Force? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, No, I mean, it's just blur i mean it, yeah. uh, but uh of of it's actually just someone dropped a camera but <laughs> later they said like what drives on edge of this beat someone us. made up the weirdest lie about just a f- accidental photo but um they where they put he put um numbers by all the extras who were playing dead bodies yes. right and he would call out like hey 76 like be more dead or whatever yeah, right. <laughs> you're, you're being dead the wrong and way. then they would take all the numbers away and then shoot it like yeah. it, but it's just like you see the photo and it's like there's hunt uh, yeah. over 100 know. people just lying on a hill like waiting to, to you know figure it out it sounds exhausting to even be told that like that 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 just that thought process exhausts me I mean, just my, thinking about how that would have worked i saw this on wikipedia but cited to a kubrick book what uh, so what I think this think? is a verifiable source um, uh, that Universal was like, you know, he's joining this movie a couple weeks in, right? He's a fucking young buck filmmaker who hasn't made a hit yet. And they're like, so just so you know, in terms of just like workflow, we'd like there to be like 30 camera setups a day. And Kubrick was like, OK, I'm going to give you two. Yes, and they yes, and they compromised on, on eight, I believe. Yeah, yes. but that's yeah, yeah, yeah. that's insane to go from thirty-two to two, right. and that they landed closer to his much ask. closer. Yeah. yeah, 
um, is just wild. How long did it take to shoot? A couple days. Spartacus? Yeah. Uh, let's see. But it is the thing. You you look at big sequences like that, and you're just like, how long does it fucking take to reset this? Right. No. The act alone of putting all those numbers out. Yes. And then taking them away right. again. And there's fucking horses and shit. There are horses. Those yeah. flaming barrel. What, what, what oh, are the, those the weird logs? The, or logs, yeah, the fire yeah. logs? Those seem effective. Yeah. I wouldn't yeah, so, want one of those coming at me. Obviously, so much of this movie is like Ridley Scott went, yoink, yoink, yoink. Like, I'm taking I, all this. Oh, it's like, so, like it's way so more than I realized when I was oh, watching. You, you, you had know, never seen this. I'd never seen this before. I had never seen it. Really, I'm like, this is really the main thing the gladiators are riffing on. Oh, hugely. 100%. The first like, half is special. why are there no yeah. flaming rolling logs? That was yeah. the coolest. Um, one of the gladiator coolest has tigers, chariots. Yeah, yeah. you guys aren't impressed. I, 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 look, I, I feel like I'm gonna say this now. I've always had a hard time with gladiator, and I had a bit of a hard time with this movie. Oh, and I wonder if there's just some block there. Yeah, you don't in, like swords in and both sandals. cases. I watch it and I'm like, this is very impressive, well crafted. I can't believe you got this much. You know, you, you put all these elements there on the day. I find the story is a little hard to to crack into. It did make me appreciate Gladiator a, a little bit more. Gladiator I think like rules. I understand why Gladiator became such a big hit that it found sort of more emotional ends. There's yeah. the line that Kubrick had about this movie where he was just like, my fundamental regret of the movie is the central character who I never fucking figured out. He he's hates got no flaws Spartacus, and no quirks. Right, because he's like Spartacus is just this like absolutely yeah. He hated figure. the I am Spartacus stuff, you right. know. But then I Which think I think the I am Spartacus works. But that line it's really, so much more subtle than I thought absolutely. it would be because I'd seen the clips and I and was shorter. like, oh, it's going to be this big rousing. Oh, it's short, exactly. It's right. Short and you, it gives you way to a much more important scene. Of a much, it's, short. it's also yeah. not the last moment in no. the movie, which it could be. Like, you don't really need 20 extra minutes. No. Like, I mean, I like the end of this movie a lot, but, like, it could yeah. just be, like, and then no one gave Spartacus up. And they all marched off to And they deaths. all fucking died. Yeah. Right. You know. Yeah. But um, the, uh, I, I read through the dossier before I watched the okay. movie. Brag? It's not a brag. I'm saying it was a mistake, because then when I landed on that quote of Spartacus has no flaw, uh, no right. flaws and no quirks. That was ringing in my head the entire movie, mm-hmm. where I was like, like "He I, fucking nailed him." I'm, I'm, I disagree with Stan the Man. I love this movie. This movie's great. Um, but because it's because like Spartacus is just supposed to, he represents the collective. Like that's what this movie is about. Like what is frightening to the Roman Empire, the mm-hmm. Roman Republic, is that like they are bonded. These these men, sure. like you know this, and and all of the the people, the underclass, and and perversely by their own do it. You know, like like the, it's right. the Romans' fault that right. all of these dis- people from disparate places have now formed this thing. And I love that old bathtub boy, you know, Dalton himself, who mm-hmm. even though they call him like a, you know whatever a cocktail communist or right, they'd sure. be like he wasn't even that fucking lefty you know like you know sure he was on the blacklist but um he's like sure you want me to make a movie about this like it'll be about like the rot of slavery and like how it like eats away at institutions and things like that i respect this movie i don't have to respect it i just yeah uh you can danger field this movie no i'll give it some respect (laughs) i'll give it some respect if this movie asks I'm going to ladybugs this movie. I don't know what that means, but I'll figure it out. <laughs> People go back to school with it. I'm just going to put a wig on, I think. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, you want to meet Wally Sparks this movie? Oh, sure. oh, wow. I forgot about that movie. It took a second. I had to dig through the bottom of my <laughs> bag to find that one. Um, 
but but there's i i think just certain things gladiator also i i think you're right i think the sword and sandals thing has never really connected with me i think the heston movies of this era have just a little more bombast to them which breaks through for me Do you like those you like, like i i understand that this movie is uh better well, in her is pretty fun but, but even like yeah. it, Ten Commandments, which isn't a great movie, but is very compelling. Ten Commandments is also bananas. That's it has the thing. magic in it. I, <laughs> like, I like that's kind of I cool. Think, and, and Heston is so fucking over the top <laughs> in these Brenner's things. Really yeah. Wait, what were you and he's say? really doing that with the Red Sea. You know, like he, he, he right. Yeah, right. Yeah. They got him. It, it was for real. The, they shot everything for <laughs> yeah. real. Right. Have you guys seen there was a tweet that went around? I don't know, a couple of weeks ago at this point, of like someone being like, man, TV in the 80s really took its time, or is in no hurry. And it's like the opening minutes of an episode of Magnum PI. And it's like, it's just him getting out of his car, yeah. taking his shoes off, walking down the beach. Like nothing happens. And you're mm-hmm. like, you know, obviously now it would be right. like you'd be right in the action. And watching this, I'm like, okay, so you go to the theater, you're like, this is this big, expensive Hollywood epic action, yeah. swords, all that yeah. stuff. And then there are these long scenes of, with two old British yeah. fruits right, being like, <laughs> talking what, about what like yeah. Come of <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 and, right. And it still was the most successful movie of the year. I know. It was, I know. was like, like popcorn it's fascinating. Like, like even like, for the Oscars, just sort of be like, oh, it's not best picture material. Yeah. But I think like back then it was like, we're going to the goddamn pictures. We're going right. to sit in a gorgeous movie house and yeah. we're going to see like a thing with an intermission that's got like and an so much and an in it. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's it loaded is, with stars. But like, it is you know, why Cleopatra was like the end of an era because yes, it was just like, like right, it enough. was it was the moment of escalation of just years and years of being like, if you pick a name from history that everyone knows, yeah. you load every fucking star and heavyweight actor into it. You throw all the fucking money at the screen. Right. You essentially take over a country to film it for yeah. four years. It will work. And Cleopatra was the moment where it felt like the bottom fell out on it's that. Always like, it always actually cost three times times as much as this movie. That's, that's it costs 35? 31 million. Yeah, which would but be, you do yeah, watch it and you're like, I don't know if any movie it's on the screen. looks more expensive than this in history. Right. But I feel like when I was growing up, like cartoons like Animaniacs or or but also not cartoons. Like well, Animaniacs things. cost three so, times as much right. as Cleopatra. Obviously. They, they had did to actually all for real. And make those Animaniacs. <laughs> they, they lived in that tower. Yeah. Um, there was always a gag if they were on a, f- a studio lot Yes. There'd be in the background like a Roman soldier yes, walking course. by, right. and I never really—I was like, "What? I, like, is that a movie thing?" You know, yeah. I didn't. Like, so it's just so interesting to look at that. Like, oh no, there was an era when I mean, this was so ubiquitous. They, they were like the biggest fucking thing. One of my was, favorite yeah. Hollywood movies ever. I'm safe saying this now that I've seen it so many times. Is Hail Caesar, which is mocking that like kind yes. of the self-important, yeah. like, well, we're making a fucking picture here, right. About issues where people are going to get big speeches about, yeah. like, you know. God and death and life and all that. And, and like I mean, the silly self-importance of it. There are so many big examples of this. And even the ones that were sort of like mocked and been forgotten by time where you're like, oh, there was a movie where that guy played that character, played that historical figure. Most of them did well. Often. It's what people wanted, I guess. Yeah. But like you said, and then the pendulum was always going to swing the other way. Then it's like, why don't, why aren't we making short, punchy movies? Like, you know, it's always going right. to do too much of one. You're going to, yeah. Here's some other stuff. Mm-hmm. Kirk Douglas and Stanley Kubrick are not getting along. They got along in the last movie, but I think Kirk Douglas is under immense pressure with this movie. It's so big budget, and he's putting all that pressure on Kubrick. They're fighting all the time. I think the other difference was, like, Paths of Glory, maybe. He's like, I like you. Yeah, I want to be a, in a movie that you're making. And this one, Douglas, movie. is like, you're working for me. I yeah. hired you. Yeah, And, and Kubrick and, comes in and is like, no, I'm making this a Stanley Kubrick movie. Um, at one point, they're told to sit together, to take a session to, together with yeah. Kirk Douglas's psychiatrist. 
um, so that Kubrick could better understand Kirk Douglas. Uh, the psychiatrist tells Kubrick to went to read Traum Novel or Dream Story, the Arthur Schnitzler book that he's going to turn into Eyes Wide Shut 30 mm. plus years later, uh, which Kirk Douglas called the lousiest picture. Rude. Yep. Uh, he was like 100 million years old by that point, right? He was 100 years old for like 30 years in my head, Kirk Douglas. Yeah, also in Kirk Douglas's defense, he didn't live long enough to see Jurassic World Dominion. Yeah, that's so. true. That's true. He missed it. Uh, um, the true lousiest picture. Uh, they, uh, Kubrick was, Kubrick and Douglas both liked the silent film technique of playing music on set yeah. to set the tone for the actors. Mm -hmm. uh, apparently Woody So Gene Strode, Simmons would perform when she wasn't <laughs> shooting. Right. She wanted to she rock and roll you strutter. all Yeah. Uh, do you like Kiss? No. Yeah. I like think Kiss. So. I know. No, I know. Oh, right. I, know, and I... I know you like Kiss. <laughs> Are you into Kiss because of the merch? I, I, you know what? Honestly, Ben, probably was the gateway for me. Yeah. yeah. I'd walk into comic book stores and I'd be like, what's this band doing here? What was that <laughs> What was that movie in the late 90s about the kids who were obsessed with Kiss? Detroit uh, Rock City. Detroit, Detroit Rock, City. Rock City. And the kid right. from Jungle to Jungle was in it, which is right. why I wanted Sam to see Hunting it. <laughs> you wanted to get God, into Jungle. Richard, yeah. he makes so much sense as and an I early loss and crush. I like that replacements <laughs> cover of yeah. Black Diamond. I made an impassioned plea to our... Or an our, I, I made... I put forward my thesis... That the Fast and Furious movies are the kiss of film. Sure. Okay. Where you're like, this is probably poisonous in some way, but it's also very well executed and like And there's like a weird earnestness and attention right. to detail that like overcomes everything it's else. It's sort of like also right, super macho but weirdly family friendly and nerdy. <laughs> like, right, yeah, right. Like... And and he was like, No, the difference is that like KISS fans still get mocked for liking KISS. Like it's not cool to like KISS. Yeah, right. And I'm like, the Fast and Furious movies are like the most popular movies in the world, and yet they're still like the punching bag. They're still a bit of a punching bag. Right. Before we move on from kiss i just want to share this thing it's one of my favorite things on the internet of all time it is audio of paul stanley doing kind of crowd work between between songs where it's like just his vocal track <laughs> yeah isolated and it is some of the most insane stage banter and just crazy shit that you have ever heard in your entire okay. life i highly recommend okay it. I'll just get out. we'll link to it on the on the feed yeah I just I really like this story about it's about Woody Strode who we mentioned um, who was yes. who is really good in the movie is I mean is like captivating it you're this genuinely film. like oh no I don't want to I, I wanted right. more of him it's one know? of the I mean it's a thing where it almost feels like watching Gladiator Ridley Scott was like what if we keep him alive the whole movie right like if we so, have that character we give it or whatever but, right yeah. like goes a long way in that film and obviously Woody Strode uh, if people don't know like had been one of the first black uh, football players in the NFL. Yeah. And like then, you know, transitions to acting. And so Alexander Singer puts it as he was this man of innate dignity, right? Yeah. So you just put the camera on and you're already getting something. He's like, one of those guys who just, it was honesty on screen. Yeah. Um, And so in that, that, you know, like, and, but he was like, but he wasn't someone that you would like traditionally direct uh, where you're saying like, you know, is this what I'm going to do? I'm going to kill my friend. Like, so right. instead, apparently Stanley would just play music and he says, I'll never forget the power of the music. What happened to Strode's face as the music played, you could watch 
his face as it was happening. The music was a Prokofiev concerto, a haunting passage. Yeah. It was filled with infinite longing, a kind of love story, and the effect on Strode was visible. Was this for his final close-up, I think presumably? Must be, right? Must like, been. you know, which is such a good... And I mean, he does get that Globe nomination. Or maybe looks, a win? No, just no. a nomination. Yeah. He looks fucking incredible in this movie. It yeah. is one of those things, even from that opening scene where Spartacus tries to introduce himself, and he's like, I don't meet people. I'm going to have to kill you later. You're just like, let's spend more time with this guy. Yeah, I was so excited when they get into the ring, and then it's kind of a bummer when he dies. Right. Well, and also when he throws the trident into the crowds and it's like, or into the stands, and it's like that's literally in Gladiator, yeah. except except Russell right. Crowe does it, and it's like, come on, come yeah. on, Ridley. <laughs> like, I understand the yeah. real story here, but just like I was just like, I I want to watch this guy. This is yeah. the guy I want to follow. Oh, fully, yeah, yeah, because um, he also like feels like more leader like i don't know it's just it feels like we, yeah. in, a, in a short time we're like no that guy would could do this you yes know? uh he his last movie ever it's quick in the dead uh is that right we recently covered him he had we a very did. long career uh he did have a long career he's in lots of things uh last voyage he's in man who shot liberty balance which is a great he movie he gets credited a L- lot of john wayne movies. being the namesake for the character in toy story i think pixar is has that admitted funny that. huh because he was the cowboy woody of his time there you go yeah i just rewatched four really good thank you Love that movie good movie uh boss baby's been been toy story gets it one of the toy few story things that will keep her eyes on screen well those bath toys too those are like her bath toys you know i'll say this i was talking to my friend derek who i similarly bought a bunch of toy story toys for his daughter when she was born and those are her favorite movies and i was like did i successfully indoctrinate by placing these characters in the home so that when uh, you put it on the TV, the boss baby is recognizing, like, oh, the bathtub friend. Right. Anyway, back um, to Spartacus. Then I think that's why she loves her Jesse. She's got a Jesse. She I, plays with that a lot. Um, anyway, uh, as you say, Kubrick doesn't like the movie. Right. He says it had everything but a good story. Uh, he says it feels like it was written in a bathtub. I don't know why he said that. It's a weird, weird quote from him. <laughs> Soggy <laughs> pages. <laughs> Hey, why is my script so wet? Um, uh, Trumbo's script only alluded to the final battle. Right. right? And Kubrick was like, we need a fucking battle scene. Like, right. Which is funny because you almost think Kubrick might be the guy who's like, oh, that's interesting. And instead, right. Kubrick's like, I'm making an epic over here. Let me have some guys running it, at it each other. It speaks to him knowing that he needed a hit. Yeah. That he's just like, people are going to fucking, I'll never get hired again if this movie doesn't show a battle. Uh, so Saul Bass helps with that sequence that you guys are kind of talking about where it's like you see these squares Right, these geometric yeah. Roman legions that are like charging as like units, and then the slaves are like a much less you know uh, regimented force, and they're like throwing fire at them, and like the the contrast is so striking, like yeah. visually. And Paul, Saul Bass apparently was uh, huge on that. He wanted to have that like dichotomy between like the soulless Romans and the like soulful slave army. That's a Saul Bass, king of shapes. So silly to just line up like that I for know. to fight to the death. I just. God. They were really good at it, though. I mean, they kind of like conquered the known world. <laughs> I don't know if you I know, know about I this. just always the Romans. Are, yeah, I'm aware. <laughs> I just always think I walk They're up real to hard the front asses, lines. Those guys. I think of like the Wet Hot American Summer scene where they just go like, "This feels trite. Let's just not do this." Yeah, yeah. Right. Where they right. give up the baseball game. <laughs> right. Like I would march yeah. to the front lines and You're go like, like mm, "How's about we no. both just yeah. fucking take off and enjoy yeah. our afternoon?" <laughs> <laughs> rolling some flaming logs at you. Um, what were you going to say? Right oh, I was just going to say that um, I was reading about the guy that Olivier is playing, the real guy, 
And shortly after these events, he died in a, like the worst Roman defeat ever. Mm-hmm. And because he he made his troops get in a square, and, and it was the wrong strategy to take. Should have done a apparently. fucking Pentagon. Yeah, he messed up. Yeah, yeah he's and, and that's why the Pentagon is shaped that way. By the way, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they, they knew. They, if they you're up close, it's all people. That's not. There's not really a building. Yeah, it's not. There's no walls. Human walls. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, Crassus is interesting because he was like the ri- that's who Olivia plays. He yeah. was like the richest man alive in Rome when mm-hmm. he lived. And you're like, oh, how did you? You're like, oh, that's that's interesting. Why was he the richest man alive? And you look it up, and it's like real estate speculation. And you're like, fucking like that three thousand years. Right. Insane right. Shit. He's fucking Trump. Yeah. He was it like, I'll oh, buy this. Yeah, it is. It's like, worth that now. It is what's sort of depressing about this movie. Like as we're dealing with like this constant question of like is society collapsing? And you watch a movie about ancient Rome, this like famous societal collapse, mm-hmm. and you're just like. We we kind of keep making a lot of the same mistakes. <laughs> I mean, as much as we, this was the most like fucking enlightened civilization up until that point in time, and they completely fucking did themselves in. And it feels like we're similarly like overthinking ourselves. They had five hundred years before it all fell apart, though. Don't worry. No, no, no. We look, we've had a couple good centuries. Exactly. Yeah, but we based our system of government on yeah. the mm-hmm. Senate. I Oops. Mean, yep. Uh oh. Yeah. <laughs> Whoopsie. What? <laughs> yeah. Was there, who is the Joe Manchin of, of ancient Rome? <laughs> Like, uh, just a, a devaluation of people, like, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think... Uh, make this movie today about Starbucks employees walking out. If you made this film today. And I have to go. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. You're going to come with me? I got to go, too. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, Lawrence um, Olivier playing Howard Schultz. <laughs> <laughs> He'd probably be good at that. He would. Um, the portrayal of politicians, too, it's like, they're just always been sleazy. I know. Mm-hmm. And like, it's so funny anytime time they refer to themselves as the Senate in this movie. I like, am the Senate. And yeah, even Gracchus, the, the Charles Lawton character, who's like the better one, is still kind of bad. I mean, he's kind no, of he's bad. Corrupt, you know? yeah, he, no, he wants no. to kill Spartacus, too. You yeah. Know? yeah. No one is pro-Spartacus. It's <laughs> right, just how right. anti-Spartacus everyone right. is. I but guess. even you saying how funny it is every time this movie will cut to these like old board treaders hamming it up yeah. in this room deciding the fates of all these like crazy epic people on a battlefield and whatever and you're like yeah it is insane we just let a bunch of old guys go into a big room and just wear suits yeah. and ties and just decide everything yeah. what the yeah. fuck are you talking about well they're about? not wearing suits and ties in this movie they're wearing I'm nice pairing. yeah but maybe if we put them in robes things would be better yeah that'd be better <laughs> yeah, Chuck right? they'd, they'd feel a little looser yeah. they'd feel a little you know, yeah. air yeah. it out that's a problem I mean, these guys are getting clammy it's hot down there yeah um so uh they make this movie at a certain point apparently uh edward lewis who's like the the guy standing in on this for the script right like Mm -hmm. he's lending his name he starts to feel uncomfortable about it and he says i don't want to be you know i don't want to use my name for this and kubrick apparently at one point was like look i hate the script but if you want to put my name on it Uh Like, why don't we just do that? And Olivier, I mean, sorry, and Kirk Douglas is like, no, I'm actually going to, you know, break tradition, bring Dalton Trumbo's name into the foreground. But like, I guess there's the suggestion of maybe he was like, fuck you, Stan. Right. (laughs) Like, I'm not going to do that. No, I guess we'll just, yeah. Right. And the fact that this movie was a hit and that most famously... John F. Kennedy went to see it. Exactly. It, when it, he it, was in it, office, it, it flips was seen the whole as thing like, around. It's like enough of this shit. That broke right. the picket. Like this movie right. single-handedly essentially breaks the blacklist. By um, putting Dalton Trimbo's name on it and having it be such a hit, they were just like, oh, we can't lure power over these people anymore. It doesn't matter. They're not afraid anymore. There's no onus on this. Um, Kubrick, these are contemporary. This is, sorry, yeah, contemporary press. 
complained about how he hates directing. There are thousands of decisions that have to be made. If you don't make them yourself and you're not on the same wavelength as everyone else, it's very painful, Mm -hmm. which this was. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he says, shooting a movie is the worst milieu for creative work ever devised by man. It is noisy and physical. It's difficult to concentrate. You have to do it five days a week, you know, 10 hours a day. It's not an environment an artist would ever choose to work in. I mean, it, these are all fair points. It makes Like you go off to paint a picture. You're like, I'm going into my room yeah. for weeks. Don't talk to me. Like right. I'm going to slowly paint a picture. Right. And so this is like, hey, Stanley, do you want like the yellow flowers or the red flowers? You know, like every five minutes, right? It makes sense that he spent so much more time in his life designing movies that he would never make than making movies. Not because like, oh, he couldn't get these things made, but probably because for him, it was like almost as fun to plan everything out without having to deal with the day-to-day logistics of doing it. And and I mean, th- the longer his life goes on, every there's a larger gap in between movies. Yes. Every progressively as right. His, right. He's yeah. deeper and deeper into his armchair and he's like, okay, every time How he gets to he, really pull himself out. Yeah. How does he talk about his movies I, I, I know how he feels about this one but like like was he fond in in reflection he on mid? <laughs> no i don't know i don't know was he I, I, mean, I think the other thing is as time goes on he talks less and less publicly right. right but i mean like there's the famous thing where he was like right before he died he was like i think eyes wide shut's the best thing i've ever made like yeah i do feel like he was always striving for like uh-huh. some perfect creative process yeah. right and eyes wide shut where he's just like we're gonna do this thing for years right and we'll do as many takes as i want it was like and no one's fucking with me right right like it's right it's like Synecdoche, but you know? also those stories start to become secondhand stanley told me in the editing room that he thought this was the best movie he ever made like we're still in the the days in which jj is able to pull up tons of quotes from him right and it's probably going to get harder and harder that's true right because it's not like for full metal jacket he probably wasn't like sitting down with premiere magazine or whatever like there's probably less of that yes um it's funny, yeah. Can, can you imagine Collider Frosty asking Stanley Kubrick his favorite karaoke song? <laughs> and do you, who do you think is going to be in Phase Four of the MCU? Yeah. Like, <laughs> would you um, ever direct Fantastic Four? That's going to be the next. I Feige hear Feige's going for it. He's <laughs> going big. Stanley Kubrick sitting in a director's chair is like someone from Nintendo Power Magazine interviews <laughs> him, just like, uh huh. <laughs> Um. Yeah, I mean, Stanley this, Kubrick to make Splatoon. This, this I love, and I love it, and I feel like we will get a lot of these, which is quotes from actors who worked with him yes, later, right? right. Arliss Howard, who is in Full Metal Jacket and mm-hmm. is my boyfriend. Um, is your boyfriend? I love Arliss Howard, uh, uh-huh. the great Arliss Howard, inexplicably um, British in the Lost World. Yes. Um, said when he did Spartacus, Stanley Kubrick said he was astonished at how many people were allowed to have opinions on the content of the movie, which is like. A hilariously naive thing yes. for him to say in one way, and also like totally sums up Stanley Kubrick. You, you where can, he's like, Arliss, you wouldn't believe it. All these guys had some sort of opinion on what Spartacus should look like. Well, he was like talking about like studio notes, and his attitude was almost, I expect them to tell me to make the movie differently. I'm not going to listen to them, but right. I expect them to say that to tell me what the movie should be about. How fucking dare they? Right. Um, but Curtis, Tony Curtis says they never shoved him around, like, you know. He got what he wanted. Uh, you know, he wouldn't shoot a scene if he didn't think he had enough, right? Like, if he's like, I needed 20 extras for this and he gave me 10, like, we're not shooting it. Like, you know. It's he- in that Arliss Howard quote. Uh, and not only that, but Tunker said, like, he'd come back the next day and ask for more. Yes, he'd, right, he'd be he'd like, be I want 100 extras. They'd give him five. And he's like, now I want 200 extras, fuckers. Is it in that same Arliss Howard quote where he tells the story about 
seeing a, a rep screening of Spartacus where the marquee said Stanley Kubrick Spartacus. And he took a picture and sent it to Kubrick, and Kubrick was really touched because he felt like, aside from the fact that he... This is actually Gregory Novitz, I'm not uh, Stanley Kubrick. Oh, sorry, Arliss Howard, but you're right, yes. Yeah. Uh, he went to see the restoration, and Stanley was like, well, go see it. You know, I'm not going to go, but I, you I'm go not see crazy it. about it. I have regrets. Right, um, and it said, right, he took the picture of the marquee, and he loved that because Kirk Douglas thought of it as his film. So he did ask for a photo of it. So right, so he has even some in, sentiment. Even in the eighties, he was sort of like that movie is viewed as Douglas's victory rather than my film. Right. Not even the movie isn't as good as I thought it would be, but people don't even think of it. I mean, when I've been running down what you said, David, the conversation of people going like Stanley Kubrick, what is that? Eighty-seven movies, and I'll list the thirteen for them. And they're like, he made Spartacus. Oh, it's weird. I mean, it's really weird. Right. You have three early movies that people haven't heard of. Right. But outside of that, every other movie is pretty famous for being a Kubrick movie. And this movie's legacy is not that much on Kubrick. No, not at all. I mean, I it, it it's so... I mean, it's there are interesting things in it, but it's so conventional. I mean, because it, it was for hire and it was supposed to, it you know, is conventional. to be. But like, it's a movie you could hurt yourself trying to find the Kubrick in. And, and I think the morals of it are pretty straight forward you know where it, it, his movies after this get much more complicated on that front and yeah. um but you see these little touches of of personality you know and signature in there but weirdly i think they're 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 in ways that are like positive like like he'll pause on like a little kid like his grandma like squirting him with the goat's milk yes. or you know these this kind of charming scenes between um Gracchus and uh Usanov, you know, where they're just kind of like you, like women, you know, like they're just kind of bonding, and you're like, it, there's a softer side to it, but those are the moments when I kind of feel like, oh, this, there's a personality behind the camera. Well, JJ, mm. our, our beloved researcher, uh, had a, a little editorialization in the dossier, which I appreciate, and he was tweeting something similar uh, this week. Uh, and unsurprisingly, you know, JJ spends a lot of time doing research for this show. Yeah. And then he'll go on his Twitter account and he'll tweet errant thoughts about whatever he's deep into in the research. Sure. And it seems like uh, for the first time now, uh, Twitter bros coming at him because they're like Kubrick heads are the most annoying legion of people of any of the directors he's had to sort of research for us in the last year and a half. And they've coming out of the woodwork. People don't even follow him, whatever. But he was sort of talking about his... J.J.'s own interpretation of the Kubrick process versus how it's often talked about. Uh, and he wrote this, I thought, very well in the dossier, but the the notion of his obsessive takes, the legendary sort of always doing 100 takes of every fucking thing, and that the perception of it was he has this perfect thing in his mind and he's relentless and he won't move on until he sees the thing exactly how he envisioned it. And JJ's like, when you read people who worked with him, it sounded so much more that the thing he was waiting for was for something to surprise him. It wasn't that he wanted to see what was in his right. head. He wanted to see something that he could never come up with. Right. And it goes back to the fact that he starts out as a documentary filmmaker, as a photojournalist, that he yeah. was capturing real life, that he was able to find these organic sort of lucky moments. All of those sequences, when you see sort of like um the the life of the rebellion you know right. them sort of traveling together the things these yeah. stolen moments yeah a lot of children that you're, you're like i thought this was all going to just be men you know all the but stuff with the children is pretty fascinating because yeah. it feels like docudrama it feels in, like it, a refugee crisis that he's right. filmed yeah right 
Right. And and they're very sort of well-observed, but very slight, underplayed moments of, yeah. of humanity that feel very organic. And they, they harken back to that as sort of his, uh, I don't know, his starting point. Gotta be real. Um, oh, boy. No, Was it me saying that bullshit? No, don't worry. It's never a video. It's just a photo. Okay. Um, I like when they laugh together. <laughs> I especially like seeing Kurt Douglas laugh. Go on. Because he doesn't seem like a big laugher in general. Not at all. And also just because it's like a period piece. I don't, also, like, I don't, I don't, I mean, I haven't seen really, truly any of the epics, sure. the classic mm-hmm. epics, but it, I mean, you made me pain. think of humanity. I mean, like that was like a moment that stuck out to me. There's like, I think two, they're the egg on the face moment. Yeah. And then I think the two of them laugh together when they're reunited because she was able to run oh, away. Oh, yeah, that's a good like, scene. Though, that yeah. stuff feels yeah. like it really stands out. But, and, but Kirk and Douglas also looks like like a fucking cigar store wood carving, right? Yeah. And like he he barely talks for the first half of this movie. Like I, mm-hmm. I think I really clocked at like an hour 20 minutes is the first time he has an extended dialogue scene. Yeah. Yeah. Up until that point, it's pretty much monosyllabic or uh, one isolated line at the end of a big scene. Yeah. And he's just kind of standing there with gritted teeth, stoic, where anytime he is a motive, it is bizarre. Like it it does sort of strike you. There's sort of a Garbo laughs thing going on, especially when he's in this patina of the like the epic and playing the sort of square jawed hero he's like a hall of presidents robot it's odd when he starts doing anything yeah. out of character yeah yeah no i mean that when he laughs in that scene you're like wait what right like, was this i don't think they meant to leave this in like this was like between takes or something it but... feels like like yeah like jackie chan bloopers I mean, that is why <laughs> right. i love yeah. the scene i already mentioned with herbert Lom too because it's like allowing him to be retrospective or introspective right mm-hmm. where he's like you, you guys are gonna lose like yeah there's six legions massing outside you know and Spartacus doesn't have any bravado. He just like is like yeah. calm and he's like, yeah, I don't know. Like, and they like look out together. And he has that whole thing where he's like, death for a slave is like good in a way. It's like you're free True. of pain. Like, you know, it's not like the, that's later, I think, where he says that to Olivier, maybe. Well, well yeah. yeah, and not to jump ahead, but it's what's interesting jump about ahead. the whole end chunk yes. with Tony Curtis of the like, what's the better outcome here? Right. Is it me stabbing you so you don't have to go up on the cross? Right. Or is you, it you stabbing, stabbing me, me but so then that... you have to. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's uh, it's a sad ending. Right. I mean, because they like, really lose. Way. What's I mean, the way you want to die? Yeah. Like, yeah. like they didn't hollow, ho- Hollywoodize the ending at all. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess maybe inventing Gene Simmons' character. Holly- but like, right. That is yeah. just, it's just her showing him his son. But like, that's it. And even that is pretty so fucking sad. And who yeah. the fuck knows where they're going to go? You know, like, right. it's not there's like the Malibu. whatever is. Different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, um, like Gladiator at least sort of lets him go to heaven. Right, yes. you know, it gets all sort of like right. And in Gladiator, and we go back to the suffers, wheat field. And... Right, he suffers the immense tragedy of the start of Gladiator. So it's like he's already he's like dead. Like his wife yeah. and children are dead. He's like, I might as well be dead. And then he's like building himself back up from there. But this, he doesn't want I mean, this to be. This is what on I'm saying anymore. about like, and I'm. It just speaks to me probably being like a conventional sap or whatever. But Gladiator, a film I've never fully connected with. Watching this for the first time, I understand the value of like the amount of emotional endpoints that Ridley Scott was able to create in yeah. the setup of that movie. Yeah. Um, I love Gladiator. I think it's I great. I, I gave you my steel look. You sure did. I got some. I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to watch it again now. It's yeah. So I want to watch it again after that. Fucking rules. And it like much like this movie as Ridley Scott recognized about this movie is like loaded up with supporting actors who are like just 
thespian gems. You know, like right. that's what Gladiator. Because they would Reed all go drinking in Malta or whatever. Yeah, right. That's where filming. all the Reed fucking finally like, didn't did he like himself in. keel over in a pub or yes. something. Yes, yes. as he yeah. should have. Right. That's yes. how all yeah. Reed was supposed to go out. Yeah. yeah, on some fucking movie, and he's just like, oh, I think I'll have a sixteenth. And the guy's like, All right. And he's like, Well, well. <laughs> that'll do it. <laughs> it was also yeah. one of those things where they were like, You can hire Oliver Reed as long as you have someone by his side at all times, making right. sure he does not have a single drink. Right. And two weeks in, they were just like, what are we going to fucking do they were like, what do you Two weeks in, they were like, well, he's dead, but we can make a CGI version of him that kind of works. It's also do. wild that it works it better work. than most. It does. They spent a fortune on it, but like, it Like, when you consider that... Gladiator, an actor, died. An old guy died, and they turned it... It's they the same year as the CGI. fucking Sopranos thing? Yeah. I mean, yeah. the Sopranos thing was peanuts, com- price-wise, compared well, absolutely, to... Absolutely. Yeah, 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 but, yeah. but still, it's like, it, it you... Watching Gladiator, it's hard to find it, you, the scenes. You, you don't know where it is, right? Yeah, yeah. It's hard to notice the CGI. It's true. It's cool. It's cool. Just so, the thing you mentioned is true. They get out of the Douglas deal, essentially, because he wants to, I, I want to make Lolita. Douglas is like, I don't want to do that. And, and also, Douglas is like, he's an annoying little that's shit. That's the thing. They, well, right. this is the quote, and I do like it. You don't have to be a nice person. This is Kirk Douglas. You don't have to be a nice person to be extremely talented. You can be a shit and be talented. And conversely, you can be a nice guy and not have any talent. Stanley Kubrick is a talented shit. So that's his assessment of him. Is the quote in there, the Cooper quote about uh, head versus heart, where he's sort of talking about the notion that people in Hollywood don't care and that everyone's a hack just looking for a paycheck? Yes. The reason Hollywood movies are often so bad isn't because the people who make them are cynical money hacks. Most of them are doing the very best they can. They really want to make good films. The trouble is with their heads, not their hearts. That's an incredible quote because... Brutal. There's there's a surprising generosity in him saying like, no, it's really hard to make movies. People think this is like a careless business and the people are like cynical about it. But really, everyone's trying their hardest. Yeah. And then the Kubrick punch comes at the end where he's like, just most people aren't smart. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about that weirdly when I was wa- I, watching where the crowd ads sing. Oh, sure. We were uh-huh. like, okay, so this book that's you, you weren't know, watching. Has, you were hearing. You sat your ass down and listened yeah. to the crawdads. That, I, that's right. Yes, I, I was experiencing the crawdads. Um, but, and by the way, where is it? Did you find out? North yeah. Carolina. Uh, <laughs> okay, yeah. I, I've been trying to find them. it's around the corner from that one swamp. You know, um, right? The second star, straight out till morning. <laughs> right, and like that book, like was written by a crazy person it seems <laughs> yeah, sure, but sure currently was. involved in her own murder mystery <laughs> in a real life murder murder mystery um yeah. but like, i've read snippets of it there's like style mm-hmm. and you go see, i went to see the movie it was the premiere at moma did they give the you the only... coloring books no oh no no they've been there's, doing screenings this movie i saw that and then yeah. people are walking out and the studio is handing out adult coloring books oh god yeah well we didn't get those but like it has Theme this pedigree it's one of the best-selling novels of all time yeah they have filmed in in louisiana it's not like fake it's like real bayou kind of thing and you're watching it and you're like and the, the director spoke before in for like 25 minutes mm-hmm. Read, reading like a thank you list whatever it's, it's not incredible and it's just like so kind of like that it's like everyone went into this with the well-intentioned yeah. they really wanted to make it as good as it could be but it's just not smartly made yeah, it's just, and it's like that. There is absolutely it, all all the component parts can be there, except if the people who wrote it and directed it don't get it, you know. And it's it, it's crazy to like see what a director like Kubrick can do when brought in to f- help a studio thing get finished, you know. Like, mm-hmm. um, 
it, yeah, it's a real testament to that sort of a tourist kind of talking about. I mean, look, a lot of it's taste and judgment, yeah. right? Which kind of can't be taught. But you talk about the Kubrickian standards and the quest for perfection and control and all that sort of shit. And once again, you want to compare him to someone like Wes Anderson, who is certainly one of the most controlled directors working today. And once again, all the actors who work with him are like, yeah, it's difficult. Mm -hmm. He's like very precise. Yeah. The timing is like there's no room for error. He wants word perfect. It's to the millimeter, all this sort of shit. It's very meticulous work. Everyone works for him, likes him as a guy. Um, but I read some interview once with him that was very telling where he said uh, when he watches Bottle Rocket, mm. he cannot get over the things that he looks at where he caved to the pressure of, Wes, we really need to move on. Right. right. Where he's like, it drives me crazy anytime I look at anything in that movie where it's off by like one degree or whatever right. it is. Right. And he just said after he made that movie, he said – I am just never going to have anything I regret because I didn't take the time for it in one of my movies ever again. And he's like, I won't sleep if that's what it takes. If I need to work all night to figure out the way to do it, whatever it is, I'm never moving on because someone says we're out of time or money. And I think there's that sort of thing with Kubrick where it's just like it's so much more painful to have to watch the movie later and constantly be haunted by the things you surrender. Might as well get it right now. You might as well get it right in the moment when you yeah. can. Well, Kirk Douglas disagrees because he said at the time, Stanley will be a fine director someday if he falls in his face just once. Might teach him how to compromise. So Kirk thinks the opposite. He thinks Stanley uh-huh. needs to be uh, on his face. Don't think Stanley ever learned how to compromise. No, arguably, which is probably one reason we lo- like he's so distinctive. His biggest failure was the one that came after he died. Like, yeah. if he had had to make a movie after Eyes Wide Shut. That would have been the first time that he was really reacting to like a backlash. Possibly. Because when he died, scale. he was signed on to do Wild Hogs. Is that right? <laughs> he was. And he yeah. was going to do it with Haley Joel Osment. Right. And well, he, William At Hurt. first, he wanted to do it with four robots. He, he spent years four, developing. Four hogbots. 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 Let's, let's call them what they were. <laughs> Robo-hogs. <laughs> Robo. <laughs> he, he had drawings filling his London flat of hogbots. <laughs> Some blankie mm. tweeted at me this week that the bar that they constructed for Wild Hogs, which was not a real bar, right. still stands today Ooh, we could visit. as a tourist attraction <laughs> they built a bar in the specifically middle of the see the bar where yeah jeez it's but, the wildlife it's like it's like hobbiton this <laughs> film premiered at the pantages theater john f kennedy attended president of the united states crossed the picket line that he was sure the did. fucking thing it was like it won four oscars mm-hmm. supporting actor cinematography costumes and production design it was nominated for score, incredible Alex North score on this movie. The score is unbelievable. This like really good mix of like truly melancholy, like proper, like emotional score yeah, the, that's still big. The like romance a big scene epic is, score. is pretty incredible. There's this. brass all over it. There There's is tubas, a brassy movie. French horns and Trump is just blasting. Your there ass. should one of the Roman legions should have tubas and stuff. Do you think? Like you know, it's all the the spearmen like charging in, but then one of them is just a You're big right, brass there band. There was no human like dartboard. With an instrument walking around with the troops. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There were um, there were some boys playing instruments in the bathhouse, but that yeah. was it in terms of. Well, and that would be good though. If, trying right, to play right. trumpet in we, the bathtub. We haven't really talked about like that. That this movie is pretty homoerotic. Throughout. I know. It's yeah, Richard. So and, yeah, David. Don't get to the premiere of the yeah. fucking movie. Let's back up the train and talk. And like about, the Tony Curtis of it all. Like he, Dickie Lawson. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. But he, you know, Tony Curtis for years was this kind of gay icon, uh, not gay himself, though there were always rumors. 
uh, and would, would almost like lay it on too thick about how much he loved women. Exactly. Maybe maybe it was sure. Maybe there much, was a protest but, too much yeah. element to it. It was like pretty crass about. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. Absolutely. And you know, in this movie, he's he's, he's also his... married six times, right. which is a fair amount of times yeah, to be married. Times. Yeah. Sure. Go um, ahead. he was in his mid thirties in this. You know, because I had always thought, oh, he was no, like right, new yeah. on the scene. Right, Nobody you know, really used been that. working for ten third plus years, and he still yeah, yeah, looks, yeah, yeah. you know, cherubic right. or whatever. But this being the year after, some like it hot is pretty wild. It's yeah. hard to process. But you would kind of think that, like, in nineteen sixty, like we're out of haze code barely or no uh it's dying it's dying um, right but i would say the haze code doesn't technically end till like bonnie and clyde but even so you have yeah, it's, you it's have, going away the, right. the bath scene is like the bath scene astounding there are other scenes where men are sort of intimately professing love to one another and they're like yeah. they're always called i like like a father like a son you know like right. but it's like come on you know and i'm just the bath scene though is almost explicit about the fact that this guy's bisexual. You cannot believe how and, how little it is coded. And yes, it's villainy right. and it's the old thing of like the it's you know, it's scar from the Lion King sure. or whatever. But like I didn't mind it because it's it's fascinating and and it's like it and it's done in such an interesting like it, it's snails not, and oysters. And, you know, and it's just, Olivia's also not camping it up any what, more than he usually does. Like he's right, not putting additional. Right. It no, doesn't he's not like feel twirling cartoony. his like ruby yes, ring and right. exactly like, you know like, adjusting his wig, twirling you know? or whatever. Yeah, yeah. because uh, it would be funny if he adjusted his wig. She maybe yeah. could have done that. <laughs> yeah, but, the, uh, ironically, Yusinov is Prince John in uh, the animal animated robin hood well, of course and that's sort like, of what, like that's all of this becomes exactly who right. i the, the simpering because villain, yeah. in the beginning yeah. where he has the, the the boy carrying the umbrella and he's yes. like the sun's that way and he's right. like a like, kind of bitchy and then that character sort of changes that's but like that's in the first scene of the movie and you're like oh this is like gay from the <laughs> right from the outset yes. you know when no one involved was gay as far as i know you know in any in the major parts of the film and like I just think it's funny to have heard about this movie mostly through Clueless, but also just joked about in community for years about, oh, well, that movie's so gay. And then to watch it, I thought they were people were exaggerating, and it's yeah. like, oh, no, no, they were not at all. I mean, there's a reason that it's it's the fucking joke in Airplane and that the joke still Do works like so well. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, that's – it's, it's arguably – Billy, have you ever been to a Turkish prison? Yeah. But it's one of those things where you're like, that's kind of the best – Way gay to put joke it. Like, in a straight comedy ever yeah, that also it, yeah. doesn't feel it's offensive. A, it's right, a very right. funny euphemism. Is, yeah, is what you're, yeah. Right. I mean, and and you know when three hundred came out and made so much fucking money, I remember there being trend pieces where they're just like, yeah, like underserved gay audience. This isn't being talked about that loudly, right? Right. And right. and Zack Snyder was sort of going around trumpeting like, well, we like amped up the Lena Lena Headey character from the book because we wanted this movie to relate to women because these movies only usually relate to men, and we think that's why the film's overperforming. And it was like, no, it's overperforming no. because of gay men. Right. It's amped. Uh, yeah. And it's just really funny to think about you know nine years before Stonewall, like gay guys in West Hollywood or you know the Village being like, have you seen Spartacus? <laughs> like you right. know, it just it's this great. Like it's legal. fun. Like this yeah. was like yeah, they're like they kind of did it. Like oh, Larry Olivier is you know. Like, you, but, you imagine there must have been screenings of this movie that felt like the fucking story of uh, uh, Sweetback's badass song, where the Black right. Panther Party shows up to the screening and it's just like fucking finally. Right, right, 
Right. Exactly. You know, in San Francisco, yeah. this movie must have just played like because the end of Endgame. You can. It was not made. It was not made. We were exactly. every scene yeah. was fucking right. cap catching the hands. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. Least, like yeah. I don't think it was made with this intention. But you can, if you like, pivot a little bit to one side, it view this movie as like camp. You know. Yes. Uh, it allows for that in a way. I don't think it's a campy movie per se, but like it, it has that ability to. to and there's that something way. about. The weird balance of Kubrick being so literal minded and straight faced about everything right. and then right. having all these old theatrical actors who have the clout to do whatever the fuck they want. Well, because like every old British theatrical actor from from the mid-century was like a raging queen, even if he was straight. Yes. <laughs> this yeah. is the, the, and also yeah. but it's that. All so fucked each other. The, yeah. But, but yeah. that's the thing. There's yeah. that class of actor, the Olivier yeah. types where you're right. like, right, is he he's either gay or whatever. Right. right. Like right. and then there's the I want to like James Dean, Monty Clift, Rock Hudson, who yeah. actually, of course, was gay. You know, like uh, Marlon Brando, Burt Lancaster, Cary Grant. Yeah, you know, That's all crazy. those guys. Where it's like they were either gay, bisexual, or the Tony Curtis thing. Where you're like, well, there's no evidence, but I don't know. Like, you know, like yeah. just like, there were always whispers. Becomes the story about this. Like those '50s leading men who were so pretty. And so adept at comedy, yes. and so like you know whatever, like it's a swinging time in post-war Hollywood. Well, I mean, look, you these know, things are all like cyclical. Yeah, it it did feel like that was the first wave of like, or, or perhaps second wave, but but like true fluidity in Hollywood. And it was sort of like don't ask, don't tell. But it was like a lot of these people, you go like, wait, so it was like. The Catherine Hepburn, Spencer Tracy thing, uh, uh, was that a sham? Was that like a fake for press? And you were like, no, they very much did have a thing, yeah. even yeah. though he was married to a different woman. And he also, by all accounts, had sex with a lot of men. Right. And all these people were sort of like, why are we? Why do we need to define anything? Everyone fuck everyone. Yeah, James Dean and Sal Minio were probably doing something on Rebel yeah. or Giant or whatever. Right. But it just felt like you know. kind of everyone was fucking everyone for 20 years. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think what's such a bummer about that is that like obviously there were pains of the closet and all that stuff and yeah. like but it's there was there were there was commu- there people had community and they were they were they were living foolish lives you know right. and then you get one thing about that which is that goddamn Ryan Murphy show which he decides to depict it as this like descent into the house of horrors right. when one of the characters goes to one of these Noel Coward dinner party things or whatever is is that what that movie oh, that show there, is there, like there is, is, is one that episode that's Hollywood all, that yeah Hollywood yes, that's, yeah. there's an episode that's all at a dinner party at Jim Parsons is playing some nightmare agent or something. Right. And it's just it's just this like absolute haunted house like full of like miserable old queens and it's like sure, I'm sure that was there to some extent, but right. also like it what did it wasn't all that, I'm sure. Well, also look, I'll just say uh, uh some some blankies understandably got upset with what they viewed as a flippancy with how we talked about bisexuality in the cabaret episode, which I mm. think was uh, to defend ourselves quickly, our interpretation of that specific character and not extrapolations yeah, about a larger whatever. spectrum of sexuality. Yeah, we didn't mean to be so glib or whatever. Right. Yeah, we didn't mean fine. to be glib. We were sort of I, talking offhandedly about these things. But when you dig into, especially this era of those actors, yeah. there are things like Charles Lawton was married for decades through his death, to his death, uh, not through his death, uh, to death, uh, Elsa Lancaster, who was yes. the bride of Frankenstein, the she titular sure bride of Frankenstein. A fascinating fucking couple, right? And there's the story that she walked in on him having sex with a man one time. And so then people for a long time framed it as like, oh, he was a closeted gay man. 
And it's like, no, there are people like Rock Hudson who, by all accounts, seem to be a gay man who was closeted right. and had to keep and up struggling with that. Yes, and it informs his performances but then in this he's crazy a big way. On that right, right. you yes. read about fucking Lancaster and Lawton, and it's like, no, they were in love with each other and they were married and they had like a, a sex life. Right, right. It, 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 these guys and and gals in this era were very like. Boundary lesson, yes. I also and this movie feels weirdly reflective of that. I I agree. I agree. There there is a sort of energy to the movie that's that is speaking a lot to what was going on down the street from where they were filming. But also, you you can whatever, not even quote sneak it by, but you can just present it to a mainstream audience at the time, and it won't really register with them. They'll be like, I don't know, it's Rome, sure, right? Yeah, people took baths. It's the material, right? Like I'm not going to even think. You know, like there's this sort of plainly homoerotic material that can both be easily interpreted and also just sail over heads enough at the time i guess because it's whatever it's like this was like a movie that would get adapted into a comic book that would be sold to kids right you know this like, is the biggest hit of the year right right you know? this, this was like a movie you would take your child to. and fucking christian can go show it to uh you know share and yeah. clueless right, right. and she can be like when are we gonna fuck and he right. can be like watching tony like curtis with his eyes. hands in his chin yeah. yeah i mean his chin in his hands you know and yeah. like yeah, yeah like well i mean i mean in that way this is a true four quadrant <laughs> like i mean it, like, yeah there's something for almost everybody right you know which is tony rare he sings songs to the children he's you know and he's I juggle a- as well. What I, I want? I wish I had the exact line. I juggle as well. I can find. The he did a Flintstones episode, right? Dang. You think I'm going to have that information at my absolute fingertips? I was just always fascinated. That's going to take a couple Google. I feel like Flintstones would play. Well, there was nightly. just that Washington Post article about the Tony Curtis's Flintstones. Yeah, it's, it's, it's big news. Yeah. The uh, oral history that uh, yeah, yeah, he did a Flintstones episode playing a character <laughs> called Stony Curtis. Thank you. <laughs> First off, I just remember his one, face. One of those things that when we're kids we're watching that and you're like, I know this is a reference to David, something. This is why I'm bringing it. <laughs> right, right. First off, his like face. Like how Peter Laurie's in, you yes. know, Looney Tunes. His right. face in the episode is so bizarre and does not match the Hanna-Barbera <laughs> art style. Curtis. And you're just like, this has to be a real person because they wouldn't design something right, like that. Why would he look like this? Right. And right. this drawing is so weird. What does the real guy look like? And then you look at the real guy and it's exactly the same you're as like, the drawing. Oh, they nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, literally, it's like a masterwork. But they did like Anne Margrock. I think there was a Rock Hudson. I just remember Simpsons would play like Simpsons. Flintstones would play in like the Simpsons syndication slot on early Cartoon Network at like 5 p.m. every single day, back to back episodes. And I'd watch them. They have these episodes that were treated like Alec Baldwin and Kim Basinger showing up in Springfield. Where I'd be like, what the fuck is going on here? And of all of them, Tony Curtis was the one as a child where I was like, what's this voice? What's this face? What's this energy? What's this fucking persona? What is being parodied? I don't understand. He doesn't fit into ancient Greece. No. 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 I, does, I, now though. I really want to hear him say yabba dabba do. I bet he did. <laughs> Let me see if there's a YouTube He mocked uh, Fred Flintstone for not getting enough pussy. <laughs> he pedaled by in his footmobile. Hey. Fuck you, Fred. <laughs> God, the Flintstones is so weird. Like, look at the other thing. Every <laughs> other guy the in this, their head li- is shaped like an ice cube. <laughs> and they have and a nose four like lines. this. Like, if it goes out <laughs> right. like two it's, inches. Curse has, remember like, the, long um, curling eyelashes. <laughs> do you remember the Flintstones push pops? Yeah, it's like they didn't have to change the shape of the characters to fit like a popsicle. No, they all were shaped like a push pop. (laughs) Did not see us going to Tony Curtis's uh, Flintstones Flintstones guest spot. Yeah. 
well, not objecting. To be I'm, I'm going to do objecting. a Flintstones rewatch podcast called The Podstones or some shit. The Flint Pots. Before we wrap to the, the premiere, which I must discuss, of course, in the yeah. box office game, mm-hmm. is there anything else we want to discuss? We haven't really talked about Gene Simmons's character, Verena, but she's not the most interesting character again uh, probably Kubrick thought this way of yeah. like not, not not much fairly saintly he wanted John Moreau to do it which would have been fascinating that would have been pretty cool that's like a year this is like a year after Jules yeah. Jim or whatever like right like this I, is like, I think it was a visa thing I was look sure. uh, I saw that somewhere that know, that this was is like years this is two years before Jules Jim so she's really yeah okay. yeah cool uh, would have been fascinating sure um there are a couple scenes here that are pretty striking. I mean, that first scene where they push her into his that chamber. That very arresting. And this silent sort of... Yeah, attack right, her, essentially. He, yeah, and then the reveal of, like, they're watching above, like, a grate. Like, this is all... For you almost don't understand why... Because when Yusinov is sort of giving them all, like, the opening <laughs> ceremonial introductory, welcome to being my slave, here's how things work here kind of thing. He's like, and if you behave well, we let you have sex with people. Right. So then you're wondering why he's being rewarded that quickly and you realize it's all part of this weird fucking game of like, oh, no, we want to watch you fuck this person. This right. is still for our titillation. This is still dehumanization. Yeah. Especially because neither of them have really talked that much in the movie at that point. No. They don't really have an extended conversation until they meet up again. And even then, I mean, they get to I love you pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. But like whatever. They do. They're pregnant yeah. like immediately. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, those great little kind of scenes that, you know, were – uh, you know, they t- they they hold hands sort of or brush fingers, you know, and that's this big moment for both of them. And then she gets sent off to be with the Spaniard, which that felt like gladiators, you know, um, as punishment. And then the next day he kind of mouths like, did they hurt you? Like, like those are small, intimate moments that you wouldn't necessarily expect in a 62 year old no epic like this no you know? i also think she's incredibly good in yeah. in the big scene with olivier where he's like i'll I'll fucking kill your son if right. you don't sleep with me and she's like why do you want me to hate you so much right. he's like no i want you to love me and she's like so you're gonna threaten to kill, kill my, my son, son. You, yeah. think you can force me into liking me through intimidation well it's a good way because he has he has won by yes. all accounts in that movie he got right. he stole he her crushes, he right, killed yep. everybody else yep. And yet, it's a good scene where she's just like kind of reminding him, like, "Oh no, like you don't, you didn't win this. Like I'm, I'm, or me, me at least." Well, you but, know? Right. but also he didn't win, right? Because like he thinks, right, I'm now on top, and the whole right. point of having Caesar in the background, played by very, very pretty John Gavin, mm-hmm. is like it's like no, no, this is a guy who people actually like and right. will like. Like this is a person who actually will have a cult of personality, like will well, actually command people through charisma, which is what Spartacus it's does It's the whole too. thing with this movie. It's yeah. why it needs to be someone like Kirk Douglas playing Spartacus right. because the thing that completely enrages them is that people like this guy. Yeah, right. right. That's why they they don't understand how he keeps... It's, it's, right. it's like the juice that's giving this rebellion some, some real momentum is that like people, they find him appealing. They want to listen to what he has to say. Yeah. And like, and Crassus, the real guy, would, would go off to his death trying to basically do Win what Caesar did in Gaul but right, he yeah. but in the east and like cuz he was like I have to kept you know keep up with this guy and then it he completely he got 30,000 of his people killed He's including like, himself. this weird sort of like Dick Cheney uh, uh fucking sure. Steve Bannon figure where it's like <laughs> right. I can see the whole game and the problems that but no one likes me. I'm just I'm horrible. <laughs> I'm boring. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I'm appealing. Yeah. yeah. And Olivier is good at that in that he is of course an incredibly magnetic actor and you love to watch him talk but he can play like the most unlikable like sort of slimy guy. 
as well, yeah. like with without losing any of that charisma. Yeah, and so it, it also helps there, like that he's not doing like you know Starscream level villain camp. Be funny if, if he was, was too. Yeah, sort if, of. If it's too much, it's too much, and I I think that I I like that Starscream was a Roman Roman senator. He was. I mean, that was a thing. Oh no, famously, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but like, there are moments even in the in this movie where you're like, oh wait, is he that bad? And right, then you're like, sure. oh no, he no, he is. He just he but is. he's not playing it that way. Right. He, oh no, he is. I just got confused because he like seems like an intelligent person. Like that's what it is. He's right. pretty measured. Because right. like because right. the guy screws up and basically lets Gracchus nominate him to take the gar- half the garrison yeah, yeah, to yeah. you know, and then that's yeah. a, and 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 Crassus knows like oh that was. That was, that was a strategic, you know, an error strategically. And someone like Lawton and, in his final moments is like, yeah. I should do one good thing. Like, right. Olivia kind of never makes the human choice. Right. But like, when in that scene where he's kind of berating the younger guy for making that error, mm-hmm. he then softens and is like, oh, it's okay. Like, you'll be fine. You know, whatever. And you're like, oh, is he a villain? But, you know, of course he is. It's just, it's a good performance. Remember when that guy's going to get like, was it 400 miles? There's like a 400 oh, yeah, mile yeah, uh, ring yeah, around him. Yeah. That's the punishment. No yeah. one can give you food. Yeah. So where does he go? I don't fucking know. Yeah. Uh, apparently this film took two years to make. Wow. Jeez. People were asking that earlier. That's a long time. A production or, or just incomplete. It's one of those things where it's like variety calls. It took two. So my guess sure. is it's like production and post, right? Like it's like the but whole thing. They might thing. have filmed this for a year. Um, It got good reviews. Although Bosley Crowther, that old... That old grump in the that Times hated so. it. Um, which I guess is maybe the best sign of like how this is not seen as an upper crust movie or whatever. It's even though it's a hit, Bosley in the Times is sort of like, yes, yes, very good, very good, like, you know, very fancy, but you know, even though it's got lots of fervor and you know historical you know stuff like it's not he's not that impressed. I, I i wasn't making this as like an offhand reference heroic humbug is what he calls it it was the thing i saw on the wikipedia that this had a a dell comics color adaptation which was kind of like the video game tie-in of its era in the same way that the marvel movies are like adults go see them but like let's be honest these are movies meant for kids That's, but dell comics right. it was like oh it's interesting to see what films got that yeah. framing at the time because some of them are things like The Searchers where you're like, it's weird that that movie was meant for kids. Yeah. And other ones are movies that have completely fallen by the wayside where you're like, oh, these are just little boy fighting movies. And But they they almost went out of business when they, they did the one for Lolita. <laughs> That was that was a misstep. Uh, you mean this Peter Sellers movie isn't for kids? I don't um, okay. Uh, as we may know, some of this movie was cut down, right? Including yeah. the uh, oysters and snails stuff. And mm-hmm. like, you know, that was objected to initially by the key League of National Legion of Decency. When the film was restored, the dialogue was missing. Tony Curtis re-recorded the dialogue, even though he was in his 60s. For wow. his part, Olivier was dead. Fuck, what do we God do? Anthony Hopkins impersonated him. Really? Because Anthony Hopkins does a perfect Olivier. I will say, watching this, I I realized, and I did not know that sure, fact. That it was dumb. I was like, I... oh, Olivier was in the Hopkins phase of his career. Yeah. Like, Olivier yeah. playing this role is very much like 90s Hopkins. Because how many years away was Hopkins. he from, like, uh, Marathon Man, you know? Or, or, right, or, yeah. right. You, you end up at Jazz Singer Marathon Man, which yeah. is like, 
Hopkins doing Red Two, right, right, or right. or whatever. But this is like right. Oh, you hire Olivier to just lead, lend the gravitas and, and be your and, second and build guy and whatever. So yeah. wait, the bath scene was not in the original theatrical release. Yes. Okay. And when was it put that back makes in? It, it's not nineteen ninety one. Was so, the like, really no one had laid eyes on that for 30 years. Um, it's a big fucking chunk of the movie missing and of character motivation. There's also yeah. some of the bloodiest stuff had been cut out. How and, did they like, explain where Antonius came from? Yeah, why he left that job. I don't know. I don't know. It may have just been specific stuff that was cut out. I don't know. My old boss used to ride my ass. That's all he said. <laughs> um... And uh, the big re-release, it was one of those things. (laughs) It was one of those things where Kubrick was like, "Look, I'm not interested in it being re-released." And Spielberg knew him then, yeah, and was like, "Well, they're you know they're the American Cinematheque or whoever wants to do this." Um, And he sort of talks him into it, and Kubrick eventually then does the thing he almost was doing in the '90s, which was sending lots of faxes. Yeah, you ever remember? Like Spielberg talks about it a lot, right? Like Kubrick was always sending faxes, like from his estate in London. So that was how he uh, supervised this thing. Looks incredible. This was notoriously like there was this important. There's a very bad Blu-ray of it. Yeah, it was like historically the worst Blu-ray transfer. They were like, "What the fuck is Universal doing? This looks like a VHS put on a disc." Right, and And then the 4K. I have this deal. Right. Yeah. It's now the proper, I think, 8K scan yes, of correct. the yes. restoration of work the 91 that was done. restoration. Correct. And it, it yes. looks unbelievable. It looks wonderful. You just like cannot believe the the level of detail in this image. Um hundred percent. You see like every pore in everyone's face. Um I feel like its lasting reputation is as a good movie uh-huh. that is right. I mean, would you agree with me like that is not a masterpiece? But it's a good movie and is not yeah. nearly one of Kubrick's better films, but is, you know, a good movie, right? You know, like, it's still well-regarded. The, the, the 4K Steelbook, weirdly, when the movie ended and, yeah, this movie doesn't really have end credits, but then there's, like, restoration credits on the end of it. Another thing, like, look, it's embarrassing we've been doing this show for so long. It's taken us this long to get to movies from the 50s and 60s, yeah. which hopefully will start moving even further back. Uh, oh but this and Sweet Charity close together, it's nice to just watch two movies that have fucking entre-acts Love an entre-act. and intermissions. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. and all that yeah. sort of shit. Um, it's an entre-act. It's like the it's like the overture, but f when you're coming back from intermission. Oh, you know, sure. So you're walking back, back in. in. You've got your cracker jacks. You your you got your nachos. I just love the that thing movie. you immediately fast forward Correct. through when you're at home. <laughs> right. That's exactly Next chapter, right. please. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. Which Ben, by the way, Saul Bass, a big thing he spearheaded was like before him, opening credits would often just be projected on the closed curtains because they'd be like, "This is before the actual movie. Anything actually happens or matters." And he was like, this is like, could be a part of the film. You could make this storytelling. And it was like, oh, when Saul Bass started designing opening credit sequences, they would open the curtains up. But a lot of that where there's just the overture playing, it was like when and you're looking at a blank screen or you're looking at just a color with no detail or whatever, it's because they literally weren't opening the curtains yet. It was just sort of like play setting music. Um there's the fucking end credits they add on to this just for the restoration. And then weirdly, I don't think I've seen this before. The 4K disc just started playing special features. Yes, it just la- it, it literally I let it run and then right. suddenly it Kirk says, Douglas was there being like, ah, and now Kirk special Douglas. features. Yes. So there's a very old like 98 year old you know two decades post stroke Kirk Douglas, and he says this thing about like I made 90 movies in my life. Right. Yeah, yeah, 
people will probably only for the rest of time remember at most 10 of them. And of those 10, Spartacus is the one that will probably last forever. And he's sort of saying it with a little bit of surprise where he's right. even like, he knows that's neither the best movie he was ever in, nor one of his best performances. But it's, this movie does have some weird cultural it's true. staying power. And it's like, even when you're a little kid, you know about I'm Spartacus. You know, the like image, long you know what he looks you, like. Yeah, 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 you know yeah. the shots. You know the lines. It just sort of yeah. has. Yeah. And it's certainly not as best. Because it became the the one of the chief things cited uh, when people were talking about a Hollywood cliche. You yeah. know, oh, you know, the epics. Right. Spartacus, Ben-Hur. Those two movies. Yeah. That's what yeah. gets referenced. They Maybe become, Ten Commandments or the, whatever, it, you know. Those are like the three yeah. of this era and genre that... They represent yeah. like a major era of film, you know, in America. So we could talk about it. Like you can parody it and everyone understands what you're parodying even if they haven't seen it. 100%. Yeah. And I think it's why when Gladiator came out and was obviously such a massive hit, and then there were attempts to do more. And even Ridley tried to do Kingdom it like of Heaven, two more times. Exodus. Exodus. And none of them really stuck because they're, I think the reason Gladiator did well it was like, yes, yay, one fun throwback and we don't I need mean, any more. The we thing with all these things where it's like, well, you'll never make a successful pirate movie. And it's like, we can make the pirates movies. It's it, just that there won't, that won't be. It doesn't mean it's a trend. A blank check for, right, every right. studio to have a pirate movie or whatever. Right. Yes, right. Um, you're right. I mean, I guess, like, after Gladiator, you got Troy, you got, like, movies that did well at the box office, but you didn't get any more good or well-received well movies. And in a way, Troy was like, okay, Troy is the one that coasts off of the goodwill from Gladiator, but people don't like it. And then when Kingdom of Heaven comes out, people are like, no, we're done. Troy is the Pearl Harbor to Armageddon. Titanic. Oh, sure. No, yes. that's fair. You know, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yes. just like it's someone who's talented, but not as talented and not as thoughtful. And right. It's way worse. And it was like, we're we're at one strike here. The audience yeah. is going to. You know, Troy's one of those one that, bad version of this and we'll never go see it again. I thought it was so bad when I saw it. I was anti Troy. Yeah. I was like, this is. I thought garbage. it stu- sucked. Yeah. And now I bet if I watch it, I'd be like, it's pretty good. I think so too. I also feel like it's you one know, of those movies epic, where there's like an obviously. hour cut back into it where people are like, oh, it makes sense. Yeah, that's probably true. There's, it's I, got, I mean, King of Heaven's the one where notoriously it goes that, from being like a disaster to a masterpiece. To a really good I have heard, yeah, I've yes. heard that it's the, that director's cut is really good. But yes, I think like is. Troy is at least a B plus in the director's cut. King of Heaven's yeah. big problem, God bless him, is is Orlando Bloom. Beyond, like, it, 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 the, also you know, Troy. Well, he's Fair well enough. cast in Troy because he's yeah. the dipshit. In right. Yeah. right. Where And Troy has the advantage of Pitt and Bana, at least, where you're like, you know, these are like very robust on-screen presences. It was such a fascinating thing when Orlando Bloom's entire filmography was like uh, a Black Hawk Down, Three Lord of the Rings, uh, Troy, and Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. And they were like, this guy's golden. He's the biggest we, we, actor. Right. In right. And, it's like, and now no. we're going to let him be the guy? Right. Kingdom of Heaven, here we go. And people were immediately no, just no. like, no. And Cameron Crowe was like, not not this, Elizabeth Town, yeah. huh? Right. No, right. no, Can we put no, him in modern day? No, and they're no. like, no, absolutely not. You're done forever. Don't want it. Yeah, now, now he's like slightly back. He's around now. What's Lord he doing? Is he on the show, the Amazon show? Which show? The Lord of the Rings show? No. No. He did the fucking... Uh, he did the weird carnival show? Yes. Like, where carnival it's like fairy Row? detectives or whatever was with Cara Delevingne. Cara Delevingne? Oh, carnival oh, Row! God, that's, yeah. that's right. Yeah. That was like a blacklist script that never got made. And then and they it's turned one it of those shows It was that, Kubrick's idea first, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. one of those shows that got a second season that we've still never seen, I think, because of COVID. And maybe oh, we'll really? get it one day or whatever. Yeah. But that's the thing. He's around. He's around. He's around. I feel like there's bit. a lot of things, though, where you're like, oh, he was supposed to play the um, 
Dominic Cooper role in an education dropped out a week before filming started. Mm, sure. There are like some of those where they're kind of interesting supporting parts yeah. and good projects that he was signed up to do and dropped out at the last second. Mm. Okay. Spartacus. Spartacus. Came out in uh, late October 1960. Okay. Opens at number three at the box office or I'm I'm doing its first weekend at the box office where okay. it is a new entry essentially. Sure. But number one at the box office is... The biggest hit of last year, the 59. best picture winner of last year, wow. one of the most financially successful films ever made, and we've talked about it a lot on this podcast. We've talked about it a lot on this podcast? On this very episode. On this very, is it the Ten Commandments? Nope, but... Ben-Hur? Ben-Hur. Okay. In its 50th week, Insane. number one. That yeah. the movie where the wheel hits the other one, there's a spike on it? Yeah. yeah. Sick. Pretty cool stuff. There's other stuff too, right? That's about it. Yeah. Okay. Did you ever see the new Ben Hur? I did not. With um, what's his pants? I kind of uh, liked it. Jack Houston. R- really? I I think I reviewed it and I was like, yeah, it's not bad. Richard, I dare you to do a fucking <laughs> visiting re- reclamation project. I should. I on should. The Jack Houston Houston and Toby. What's his name? Kebble. Toby Kebble. Oh yeah. It's like two of those. It's it, it, the it, the movie cast is weird because it's not two like, of those guys who never quite yeah. got yeah. over the hump or whatever. Yeah. Wasn't it also like? Christian, there was like some Christian That's why I money. There. Well, they tried really hard. To or maybe that was get it. they tried to get the Christian audience. But they're the, like, it's been her baby, and it was like, eh. That's yeah. another one of these things. You talk about this phenomenon of pa- passion of the Christ. And everyone's like, here we fucking go. And when yep. they did like the nativity story, anything like that, no one didn't it. fucking work. Noah was the only other one that even I feel like crossed a hundred million dollars. And if people want to make the Christian movies now, they're like the war room or like fireproof where it's like you make it for a million dollars. A little boy named Colton Burpo's trip to heaven. Do heaven is for real. Like, Mm -hmm. but don't do the epics. No. No one wants to see the epics. No. They well, they would if it was some fucking Australian psycho like beating someone to death on on camera. Like that that was what they liked about it. They liked how violent it was. I know, but they were just like easy, print money. We'll just get people in the desert virgin mary like girl from what was it whale rider Rider. right yeah 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 none of those exodus didn't work uh the rooney mara smoking a cigarette on the crucifix (laughs) what What was that called mary Mary magdalene Magdalene. Magdalene. that was the that was the the guy from the lion director did that garth garth and then it got delayed because of weinstein right but garth garth yeah party on garth um number two at the box office is a sort of sexy thriller Hmm. Sorry. A noir? Not really? I wouldn't call it a noir. I've never seen it. Mm. It's a Doris Day movie. Huh. And it's sexy? But it's, well, it's like she, it's like a thriller. It's, it's like she's being stalked day. by okay. a creepy guy. Huh. You've never seen it, but you know of it. You know the title. I know the title. Yes. Is it called The Stalker? No. Mm. Uh, it is referring to a lacy dress that she wears. Negligee? <laughs> no, that's no, no, good guess. It's a good title. Uh, Someone yes. should make a movie called Negative uh, It's Doris Day, mm-hmm. Rex Harrison, okay, and then Julius Caesar himself, John Gavin, huh. and Myrna Loy, Roddy McDowell. Good cast, solid cast. Yeah, uh, you know, who who directed the thing? David Miller, okay, uh, who is not a director I know particularly well. He did Lonely Are the Brave with mm. Kirk Douglas, but which is a great fucking movie directed yeah. by Dalton Trumbo. Uh, uh, written by, um, excuse me. Which, a bathtub uh, yeah, joint. Yeah, it's a bathtub joint. Bathtub it, joint. That movie's so good. 
Um, Matt so Hubs you know, on a roll lens. A guy. I've never yeah. seen. I've never seen Lonely. Of the you never have. Oh, you no. Would. I've never fucking seen it. Okay. Love that Why one. don't you nail me to the cross like Spartacus himself? David, stay in the bathtub. Stay in the bathtub. Don't. <laughs> yeah. And I'll hold, I'll was hold like, the boss baby up to you. Forky was like, they're going to crucify him? And I was like, yeah, you know, the Romans, kind of famous for doing that. There was yeah. this one guy they got, you know, yeah. <laughs> kind of was a big deal. That's it pretty bad. <laughs> um, the movie's called Midnight Lace. Oh, that's also a good pretty title. Pretty good title, right? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I feel like if it was really good, I would know it well. Sure. a movie with Doris Day about and Rex Harrison about a stalker called Midnight right. Lace. Like, that sounds good. Okay, you just remind me. There is one thing from the movie I wanted to talk about. Mm. When everyone is saying, I am Spartacus, I would have been like, backing out. You'd be like, I'm Ben for the record. Right. Hey, guys, I'm going to stick with my name. Producer Ben. Ben Dusen. Number three, Spartacus. They'd be like, Matt? Go on, sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's a good callback. <laughs> Call Patreon episode, I believe, <laughs> if you guys want to know what that's about. Uh, number four, the box office. Three is Spartacus. Four is, it's a Western. It's a huge hit. I saw it when I was a kid. Hmm. Probably haven't seen it in many years. 59. Uh, the movie came out in 60. Oh, it came, came out in October. It's a re- It just came out, in fact. It's not Magnificent Seven, is it? It, it is. It is. Okay, I was trying to think seven. of one that you would be shown as a child. Right? Like, yeah. I feel like that's an early like, a starter fun? Western for yes, a kid, absolutely. right? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And then you get to know Eli Wallach and Neil Brenner and Steve McQueen yeah, and, right? like, and Charles Bronson. One of the best themes in film history, musically. It is a pretty good so you thing. walk up to a movie theater. I mean, I know that these didn't really exist in the same way back then. And you're like, should, what, oh, should we go see Ben Hur, Spartacus, <laughs> The Magnificent? Right. Like that's 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 wild. No, but I, the reality is, there's one theater yeah. that has four thousand seats that's right. playing Spartacus. And if right. you want to go see Magnificent, you it's on the other side of town. Yeah. And also, but it's also like I don't know, maybe not with Spartacus, but with some of these things, it's like you're not just going to see The Magnificent Seven. You're going to see like the news. And yeah. Daffy yeah. Duck. You're I know. You see like all kinds of great stuff. Know, you get to see fucking Duck Amok or something. Yeah, shit. and like someone's walking around making pastrami sandwiches. Like I just imagine and a B feature too. Tony, yeah, Tony Curtis would make you a pastrami sandwich. Yeah, and talk about his dick with yeah. you yeah. and yeah. ask you about yours if you yeah. were interested. And, and also the way pictures were shot. Okay, but it was also hot. It was probably was hot. There was so, a lot of fans going. I mean, I it's like my favorite thing in, in matinee, the great Joe Dante movie, which mm-hmm. we will hopefully someday cover. And yeah. and Scorsese talks about this as well, but there was so much reverence for like a uh, golden age of cinema, this and that. And it's like you'd go to it and it was like a, a fucking insane asylum. Children were like ripping up seat cushions and throwing jujubes <laughs> at the screen and <laughs> right? shit. And no one's you'd sit really there for seven hours. People would show up halfway through a movie, not yeah. know what happened. And I'm sure the people were drinking like crazy yeah. in secret. Yeah, yeah. Like anytime in like Mad Men, they go see a movie. And that's what they're doing. They're right. just like they're going in between, you know, sex sessions at the local right. motel just to like drink a martini. And like, like they don't even care that's what's right. Playing. Look, man, it's this movie about like the beauty of film going, and he's like, it was chaos. There was no reverence. Right. It's not a cathedral where everyone is silent or whatever. Right. Yeah. This was like seen as like I, oh, it's a babysitting tool. But like I remember that when I was a kid, and my mom took me to the NFT, for mm-hmm. example, like which is you know serious and now called the BFI. Well, yeah, she had to buy a plane ticket just to take. <laughs> you to a specific movie theater for just for a bored ape the nft <laughs> and i was green i'd be worried about that theater getting stolen <laughs> i remember my mom just being like look i don't i don't think you're gonna be annoying or anything but like you gotta be quiet like sure. we gotta be like you can't mess around right, at this, this screen he's like this is yeah. people are gonna be kind of strict yeah and she was like i don't even think they sell popcorn and i was like what are you fucking talking about? I was like, about? my mom taking me a film form as a child and be like, no butter here. Yeah, right. I was like, what the fuck oh, are you talking yeah. about? No yeah. butter on the popcorn. 
Um, the fifth film is a film we mentioned. It's a film that beat out Spartacus to a Best Picture nomination. Uh, the Alamo? It's The Alamo. Wow. I mean, here's the other thing, Richard, you talking about, like, the uh, embarrassment of riches of, of your options of movies to watch right now. The other difference is, like, the number one movie in America at this point has been playing for a year. Right. So it's not right. like, oh, Ghostbusters and fucking Gremlins were released on the same day. That's wild. Right, because they would just kind of relicense it, right? And like, like theaters would be like, right. we're going to play, you know, we're going to play Ben-Hur for the next month. Right. Even though it came out. You know, right? A so year it's ago. just like yeah. the the cream would rise to the top. Yeah. Because if something was shitty, it would be out of theaters pretty quickly. It wouldn't last, or it wouldn't right. get bookings nationwide. And then or you would never see it, it over again, to like, like, right? You know. So, so you're like the top five can have a movie from a year ago, a movie from six months ago, a movie that came out this weekend, yeah. a movie that's been playing for a month and is starting to rise. Well, I mean, isn't it why Gone with the Wind is still like the highest grossing movie ever? Because it was just like they just never stopped playing it, obviously. Yeah. But also people were going again and again because it was like it's not like, oh, I'll see it when it's on television. They're right. like, I might never be able to see this again. Like, Yeah, and the other crazy capacity. thing was like they'd play Gone with the Wind on television once every 10 years and then it would right. get like the ratings of the Super Bowl. Yeah. These things were just like yeah. – I mean, Star yeah. Wars was the same thing where kids would yeah. be like, I saw it 30 times because I needed to remember it. Because it wasn't, I couldn't just I go and watch it. I see it again. I had yeah. to commit it. Well, Mike yeah. Ryan actually had that interesting point, too, where it's like when people went to see Empire Strikes Back, which he remembers seeing. He was yeah. writing about this recently. And it says M- episode five on it. Yeah. And like Star Wars, the original cut of it does not say episode right. four. And he was like, we didn't have the internet. We couldn't be like, what, what was the that? What fuck is that? Did we miss three episodes yeah. or was the last one four? Right. And it's like, and then no one fucking told us. Like, and you know, we could just is, speculate. The other like, thing right. is, well, if yeah. George Lucas gave an interview and answered it, it wouldn't immediately get aggregated by 87,000 right. websites. Might read that right. or read that. And like, he was like, we didn't know the answer to that until they re-released Star Wars the next year. And yes. it had they had added episode four onto it. And then it was like, oh, okay. So we're in the middle of a story. But like, that's when they found out. Right. This is cool to think But in about. their mind, are they like, are is he going to make a middle three <laughs> right. movies like, between Star mean, Wars and Empire? Five. It's just crazy to imagine them being like, figure it out, Insane. nerds. Yeah. Uh, some other movies in the box office. A movie called Song Without End, which is a biopic about Franz Liszt. Sounds <laughs> thrilling. <laughs> starring, <laughs> starring Dirk Bogard. Um, oh, that's interesting. A movie like called, him. a great title, Let No Man Write My Epitaph. Oh, boy. Uh, starring Burl Ives and Shelley Winters. And that sounds Ricardo handy. Montalban and Ella Fitzgerald. Ooh. Uh, I don't know. It's a crime drama about the son of an executed criminal who aspires to escape his crime-ridden neighborhood with the help of his mother. All right. Um, then you got a movie called, I love this title too, The Dark at the Top of the Stairs. That's a great title. And that's Delbert a, Mann picture. Isn't that a It's a play. play? Yeah, it's based, based on, on a, a play. It, yeah. Uh, and then a movie called Surprise Package starring Yul Brenner and Mitzi Gaynor and okay. Noel Coward. Oh. Uh, about an American gangster living on a Greek island and a deposed king, and they try to steal some jewels. Wow. <laughs> Sounds pretty good, right? Yeah, it sounds pretty fucking good. I just like that when Yul Brenner's such a big star where they're like, okay, so we need some some movies for you. I guess, could you play a king like, right. who like does a jewel robbery? The thing you couldn't do is have like Yul Brenner play like uh, a real estate lawyer. Well, that's the thing. They never did right. the Schwarzenegger thing where Schwarzenegger's like, I'm an average guy with who is a, pregnant. With a job. <laughs> right. right? <laughs> I'm stuck babysitting. Uh, um, th- there yeah, was th- 
I feel like 10 years ago, this was like a trend of people photoshopping like uh, golden age movie posters for modern films uh-huh. and casting like who would have been starting. Sure, sure, sure. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I always remembered the Fast and the Furious one was Paul Newman playing the Paul Walker part and Yul Brenner as Vin Diesel. Sure. And I was like, that's a really good identification of Yul Brenner not feeling human. Right. Like, right. like this guy's incredibly striking, but he can't right. just play anybody. Right. Yeah. And then, like, when these epics go out of fashion, they're like, you want to play a killer robot cowboy? The only way we could contextualize you now is if you're a robot. That's it. Yeah. That, that's your best bet. Um, he's so good in that movie. Uh, that's, that's, we're done with Spartacus. 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 Yeah. Uh, the next episode's Lolita. Uh oh. Uh oh. Blank check will be canceled in one week. It's a joke. I, yeah. Yeah. Look, I'm not looking forward to it. I know. I, I should. I should stop making jokes about how we're dreading the episode. It's okay though, because you know the episode is dropping on a very normal date. September 11th. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Sorry, Ben. Ben just gave me the look of. Why? Now I got to make Why? some fucking note that you blew out the microphone. Yep. I I shifted away from the mic. Then, by it's the true. way, I, I did this, but I don't think it was good. Yeah. No, I I went sideways. You should just you should just say that it's the Lolita episode, but only talk about the movie Remember Me or whatever that movie's called. The, sure. You know the Robert Pattinson Secret Nine Eleven yeah. movie. Just just talk about it. That, that 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 should be the Lolita episode, so you don't actually have to deal with the movie. Well, it'll be like Remember Me, where the twist at the end is it was Remember Me the whole time. <laughs> or we look out the window go. and yeah. we're like, it was Alita. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. More movies should end like that where you watch an entire film and then the last five minutes they pan over to a camera that reveals it's September 11th, oh. the calendar. <laughs> Someone just told me an insane twist in a movie. Um, do you know the, the John Cho movie with uh, the, oh, it's the like a road one? trip movie? Yeah. No, do, yeah. Do you want to hear, hear? Are you going to watch that movie? I, well, tell us I feel like it tells off Mike. Just okay. uh, on main feed, I feel <laughs> okay. like people. I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I want to hear it. I want to hear it too. I'm not yeah. going to watch the movie. Um, but take us out, Griffin. Unless there's anything else anyone Richard, wants to say about Sporadicus. Um, no, th- I thank you for providing the opportunity for me to watch this. I probably never would have watched this Same. movie. I never would have gotten over you know, to it. Three hours and change and you yeah. know, whatever. I but, but I think it it's it's such an interesting I'm so excited to listen to the rest of this season of you guys because like I'm just really curious to hear like this is it. This is after this, he's off on his own. It's it's thing. the the historic run, you know, and I think that's yeah, pretty fa- much. fascinating that yeah. this this was what it took. Yeah, yeah. The the cash, like the the check, never bounced after this. He never, right. they never took the checkbook away from him. Right. He continued to just be like, here are my fucking terms. And his only like real like people didn't really know what to do with it was Barry Lyndon, right? Like everything yeah. else really was connected. But even still, it's like yeah. that got a bunch of fucking Oscar nominations. Right. Something like right. The Shining, which a lot of critics dismiss, was a big ass hit. Like yeah. he never had yeah. an outright, what are you doing, Stanley? No, until yeah, Eyes Wide Shut and he didn't live to see that. Right. Yeah. Uh, Richard, anything you want to plug? Oh, no. Uh, you can read reviews at VF. Um, this is probably coming out, this is early September, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yes. September uh, I will have reviews I will be in Venice, Italy, oh, reviewing okay. from the film festival, and then I'll be in Toronto. Okay. Yeah, you gonna hang out with Julianne Moore? Um, she's yeah, probably. She she's oh, been really? texting me while we record. I just, I'm all I'll get back well, to her. Eventually. She keeps texting you more Bart Franklin scripts. Yeah, well, she keeps text, right. texting like, me, telling text me she juggles me. as well. <laughs> Text me PDFs. <laughs> and you said don't text me, lady, and she's like, don't call me, lady. Anyway. Arrivederci. Welcome to the 11 Timers Club. Thank you all for listening. 
Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you to Marie Barty for our social media and helping produce the show. Thank you to AJ McKeon, Alex Barron for our editing, Pat Reynolds, Joe Bowen for our artwork, JJ Birch for our research. You can go to blankcheckpod.com for links to some real nerdy shit, including our Patreon, Blank Check Special Features. Uh, We're doing the Roger Moore Bond movies, but we're also going to do some fucking Kubrick tie-ins. We're shifting around the schedule a little bit in terms of uh, doing some three commentaries back to back to back in order to time Kubrick things out. But the ones that we think we're doing are 2010. Yes. 2010? Which, we'll do that in October, I think, and then Doctor Sleep in November. Isn't there a third one? I'm forgetting. Well, I think doing. for September, we kind of want to do the Fletch movie. Oh, yes. <laughs> we That's what we're going to do this month. Absolutely. I'm sorry. It's called so, Confess Fletch. Yeah. Right. So it's coming out later. So that will be the September 21st exactly. episode. We're going to do Confess Fletch. Otherwise, you're going to get uh, uh, Roger Who Moore Loved Me. I think it's dropping today. Great. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, Probably the best one. And the third one you were referencing, because we will do a third Kubrick on the Patreon, but do we want to say it now or do we want to save it as a surprise? I'll say oh, this. It'll be when we're talking the walk. We're, we have a Kubrick-themed talking the walk. That's all I'm going to say. That's for December, I believe. And I think it's a real corker of an idea. Uh, and as always, <sighs> next week is Lolita. <laughs> good, 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 good.